What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 34, the Walter Payton edition of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the motherfucking Jay himself, Jared Bajoris. What's happening, man? Of the world. Hey, you of the world. I'm good, Oh, man. the world. Feeling all right. I'm... I'm not as pumped up as uh, I normally am this week. The veininess is kind of subdued. The pulsation nation is is still backing me, but um, as I kind of referenced to you when we were getting set up, I'm more delirious this week with weird sleep and everything. So uh, this could be a, an interesting um, recording here uh, on episode 34, the Walt Pay- Walter Payton edition. Even though we're not going to even talk about Walter Payton, like we've said, we just have weird minds and can remember numbers from past football stars. Yeah, for some odd reason. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of having the same day, um, so this should be interesting here. This might be the hallucinogenic episode of the podcast. Um, Real quick, if you guys are listening on iTunes, uh, would you kindly give us a five-star review? Uh, That obviously helps the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the podcast. Uh, You could also listen to us on all your other favorite platforms, including Spotify, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. And of course, don't forget, you could listen every week at churchillpictures.com. Don't forget forget to give us a follow on Twitter at whatsrealpod1. We've kind of amped up the the content on there uh, over the last few weeks, so definitely check us out there and as always if you guys want to email the show you have any content questions concerns things you want to hear on the show death threats or anything like that you could always send those over to what's real pod at gmail.com so the j uh just something real quick i was thinking about this this is kind of funny so we've been doing the 30-day wrestling challenge on the show every week and uh one of the things last week that we were talking about on there was wrestling theme music so for some odd reason i decided to kind of dive into that in the last week on Spotify because I we've talked about that on the show before too like we have our subscriptions so I wanted to see what they had available on Spotify to listen to and holy shit do they have a lot of stuff yeah I, I mean they I have use, like oh I, I use Apple music and it's uh, probably very similar there's everything I, I think I mentioned it to you man since I've had Apple music the last couple of years there has been not one thing that I've thought of whether it's some obscure soundtrack song anything i could name maybe one or two things ever that i wasn't able to find on apple music you know here's a weird thing too i notice this a lot um i have looked for things that aren't on there but the one thing that really surprises me and this happens more than you think but have you ever gone like like there's a song uh shit oh beauty has her way is a song that's from the Lost Boys soundtrack. And yeah. The only reason I thought about this is because I watched Lost Boys at the drive-in not too long ago. So I was thinking about the soundtrack to it, so I looked it up, and the soundtrack's on Spotify. But for some reason, that one song is blacked out, which means there's an issue going on with it, or the rights, or something. So I'm like, oh, cool. Another instance where you can listen to an album except for the one song on it you really wanted to hear at the moment. So, And that happens a lot. I don't know if, if Apple's the same way. I would imagine so because the rights to this stuff fluctuates a lot. Yeah, Jay-Z wasn't on anything for a while. And then, of course, he opened up his 
uh, catalog. Same with Tool. You know, that was a big deal last year when they put their entire catalog um, on because I guess certain artists like held out and kind of saw the landscape and how things worked. And, you know, not to, to digress into a completely different topic, but we've we've discussed how fucked over musicians get. You know, it's bad enough it's with bad. movies, and I can tell you that as an independent filmmaker, but, I mean, it's just horrible with music. So, yeah, I think there's certain songs and, you know, for, for varying factors that, that yeah, won't, won't be on there for one reason or another. And it goes into correlation to what we said with having hard copy actual media and, and the, the hard copy versions because I, I still have my CDs uh, stored away. And I have the the uh, Lost Boy soundtrack, so I have that song. So it's like if I yeah. wanted to listen to it that bad, I personally have it because I didn't rely on the cloud stuff or these services that you know you can lose certain things from generation to generation um, from exactly what you're saying. And see, the weird thing is too, even with that, is like depending on your tech setup, like if you you know your computer, your laptop, what have you, you could even pull that CD out and put it on your computer and literally make an MP3 out of that song to put on, you know, in your iTunes if exactly. you wanted to. Yeah. And, so and like that's it it's just it's really weird. But anyway, the the reason why I originally brought this up, and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here or not, but I totally forgot about this. There's a version of Kane's theme song. Uh, it's from a band called Finger Eleven, who whatever, but it's called, but it's called Slow Chemical, and it's like probably my favorite version of his theme song. Like, and I totally, totally blanked this out, but it's like more of like a metal version of his theme song where there's lyrics and stuff, but it's all based off that old Kane theme. Like, remember the original, yeah, like, the backdrop of the song, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, that's, like, the backdrop with the guitars, and then this dude sings lyrics over it. But, like, I to- it brought me back to a time period of Kane where I was like, oh, shit, I forgot all about that. And that was probably, like, my favorite thing about Kane at the time, because I was never the biggest Kane fan. When you mentioned but this I- as a topic, it made me think about one that we used to bump in college, like, my roommate, the Duck and stuff, even, that wasn't, like, as okay. all, we always say, wasn't even a wrestling fan, but at the time, I, like drag them in and it was like a rap like hip-hop version of like wwe theme music i don't know if you remember that like method man oh, and red yeah. man were on it and the cane yeah, the cane song on, on there was ironically pretty good that that one stood out it's like the big red machine is it i might be missing i might be confusing this with another one is that the one that was forcible entry or something like that i don't remember if that I was think just that's a different songs. one i think that's a different okay one. yeah so because the there, one you're talking about so I remember that at the time because when that came out, it was like number one on the billboard the week it came out. It was a big surprise, but it was mainly just because wrestling was super popular. But definitely, the one, uh, if I remember right, Method Man does the rock song on it. I think so, yeah. It yeah. made me want to look for it, which I haven't had the chance yet. So we'll have to you know, keep that in the wheelhouse. But, uh, but yeah, th- like you said, um, the same thing happened to me with exactly how you put it to me where you were like, yeah, the challenge last week inspired me to go back and check out a lot of wrestling themes. So as always, when you put something on my radar, then I start my own rabbit hole, you know, and, and that, that was one of the first ones that came to mind. Like, I'm like, Oh dude, I remember that. We used to bump that all the time. Like we would, you know, any of our re- like quote unquote real music, like the new Eminem or whatever, we're bumping the, yeah. the WWE like variety mix with like well, guest sometimes, rappers. I mean, I'll be honest too. Like you, you, you could probably even attest to this. You're a gym guy. And like, obviously like you have your gym playlist or something, but like 
you could probably make a pretty good playlist out of just wrestling theme music that would work for a gym playlist. Oh, I throw wrestling themes on my my stuff all the time. That's that's one of those things that helps motivate the gym. You're like, dude, I got a brand new playlist, man. I'm gonna go go work out for an hour and bump that. You know, it, it, it kind of gives you that, extra motivation. That is true. Like whenever you just make like a fresh playlist and like you know, like whether you're running errands or whatever, going to the gym or anything, it's like the first time you listen through it, it's like a total breeze. Cause it's, it's like every, it's like listening to the greatest album ever. Cause like every track is something you want to listen to. Exactly. So it, it just makes it work. It, it just works. It's, it's a really cool thing. I'm a big playlist guy too. I'm, I'm weird like that. And I like to, I like to listen to albums all the way through, but I'm definitely like, if you look through my Spotify, I have like 30 playlists and they're all for different shit. That's yeah. I'm very similar. And um, hey, Ed, your your boy, the J. I'm like Jamie from the Joe Rogan podcast. So this was called WWF Aggression, and it featured uh, it featured Run DMC, Keith, yep. Cool Keith and ODB, Method Man, Snoop Dogg, Red Man, Helta Skelta. Um, oh wow! So yeah, that's Mystical, Ice T, RA the Rugged Man. East, who I love. East Siders, see murder. I want to. Okay, wow. I gotta go listen to that because yeah, that sounds dude. way better than I, I remember am, it even. Yeah, being. I'm bumping that um, soon. But dude, that reminds me. You brought up a good point. Something I totally forgot to even put in the show notes this week, and it just I just was reading about it yesterday. Did you see that they might have gotten the two people that were involved with killing Jam Master J from Run DMC? I did. I did actually stumble on that, and I meant to bring it up to you. So great call to bring it up. Crazy. That's story. crazy. Eighteen years well, after yeah, the it was fact, almost twenty years. And I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure there might be somebody listening that that gets this too. So back in the day, Tupac, right? He had he was friends with a dude named Stretch. Uh, and they had a falling out eventually too. And it was a lot of it had to do. He was one of the three guys that got shot with Tupac whenever they got robbed in New York city. And he thought it was Biggie or Biggie had something to do with it, or he knew who was involved and didn't say anything. That's kind of what started their whole rift. Well, stretch was one of the three guys with him that got shot there. And the reason why I bring his name up is because one of the guys that is involved, I think his last name is Washington, um, they also said that he's a suspect in Stretch's 1995 murder. So Jeez. this this is pretty wild, and it's definitely something that I'm interested in because I'm a fan of these guys anyways, and I remember a lot of this stuff. So you're talking like, you know, Jam Master Jay has been 18 years, but Stretch is over 20 years of a mystery of a murder, like who did this or whatever, because it really changed the face of rap music and a lot of the stuff that was going on at the time and it's amazing that somebody that had nothing to do with anything seemingly had that much effect over it it's pretty crazy yeah, it pops into it and then where, where does it stand now that it's all being investigated yeah apparently the two suspects have been like they they have them in custody um one of the guys was already in jail for a for an armed robbery so they're, you know, they're definitely in the middle of an investigation, but clearly they have something here because to go and arrest somebody after this many years, you got to have like, and it's, and I think I was reading in the article too, they said that like towards the tail end of last year, like maybe October or November of last year was when the police department in New York city put it, put that case on the cold case file thing. Right. 
so it's just really random the timing and everything like it's just a really weird situation but it's still unfolding obviously we'll keep you guys updated through the weeks is what we find out because me personally it's definitely something i'm interested in so you know anything i read i will definitely be following up here on the show it's uh, so crazy when that popped up yeah i was i was shocked i couldn't believe it. at first i thought it was one of those like clickbait articles where like you read it and it doesn't tell you anything yeah, exactly. and i'm like bosh i'm like no this is a legit thing so it's pretty crazy but um uh real quick dude something we haven't done here on the show in a few weeks at the very least uh and i've realized it here but it's no big deal uh, it's not something that we're always gonna do but th- you know what time it is the jay is it time for some sort of a check what's real sneak a check so what did you have on foot today man Another nice day in the pit, so I actually was out in some Jordans because I, I rock the Jordans as much as I can, especially with the looming fall into winter coming up here, you know, in mid-August, yep. and I had on my flints today. Oh, shit, the 13s? 13 flints, royal blue uh, and white, some beauties. Good day for that, too, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I This was totally random here today that I even put these on, but I was just like, I was actually dressed. I usually do it the other way, but I was just like dressed today. And I was like running out of the house. I'm like, oh shit. Well, I'm just going to grab something that matches what the fuck I'm wearing, which happened to be the Nike SC trainers, uh, better known as the Bo Jacksons in the Knicks colorway. Dude, I fucking love those shoes. I, I didn't wear them for a while when I got them. Like they just sat dead stock for a minute and then I wore them. And the first time I wore them, I didn't like them. I was kind of pissed. I'm like, fuck, these ain't comfortable. Like, this sucks. But I've worn them a few times since, and they've broken in beautifully. And they're one of the more comfortable pairs I have, which shocks me because it's an old shoe. So that doesn't always hold up very well. But, uh, you know, the classics are a classic for a reason. So I felt like it'd be a good day to break it out. Nice sunny day. So you don't have to worry about getting shit on your kicks at the very least. So I remember when you mentioned to me and talking like like you said you had already had them for a while but um you mentioned to me about having them like dude shoot me a pic of those so i have a pic of those in my text and uh yeah they're definitely up your alley especially with the mixed colors dude i i was gonna tell you too like you know uh i don't even know what's out i have seen that they've released a few other colorways since then um but i was gonna say because i was just saying how comfortable they are i was gonna tell you man like you see a colorway you like grab them dude because they're worth it my eyes out for the the um original raider color ones even Mm, if even mm. if they're not that initial shoe and they're at least similar and they're the bo jackson thread then i'll jump on those for sure dude that's something that i learned somewhat recently too because i told you i got those shadow one lows those jordans and they're you know black and gray basically is the colorway on them and uh obviously you realize that that matches a ton of shit you know what i mean but like i didn't realize how much like i ended up wearing those way more than i even thought i would uh because as you know jordans are just fucking super comfortable and i don't care what anybody says ones might not be great to play basketball in but i'll like i could wear them all day and my feet are great like they're super comfortable so uh but yeah ones that i that's why i don't hesitate on buying ones ever because i'll wear the shit out of them they match that's everything. A, they're comfy. Like they're, you can't go wrong with ones, man. Yep, and that's the thing with the flints for me in particular, because you know your boy, Penn State alum, proud Penn State yeah. alum, and yep. uh, that that colorway goes with so much gear I have for for Penn State gear. You know, the navy. So works you know out. It, this. So this is weird. Just this is just a random thought because I was thinking about this not too long ago. 
I love thirteens. We've we've me and you have gushed about that uh, like forever since since they came out. But you know what? The one thing that sucks about thirteens, besides the way they lace up, because that's the worst shit of all yeah, time. Yeah, they're clunky. Um, yeah, it's they're weird. Like it's it's they're not an easy thing to wear. You know what I'm saying? Like you you gotta like if you're just running out of the house in some basketball shorts and a t-shirt, thirteens are gold. Like you're fine. But like with jeans and other shit, like I don't. I t- it's weird, like, for a shoe that I actually really like, it's amazing how, like, wearing a certain thing with it makes you not like them at all. Yeah, I know what you mean, dude. They're, like I said, they're kind of clunky, pretty big shoes, but if uh, if you match them with the right outfit, they work. Yeah, it's kind of, they kind of remind me in a lot of way of, like, Air Max 95s, which I love, but you can't just wear them with anything, you know what I'm saying? Like, that you're going to look goofy. Yep. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's, that. that's why we have a, a whole lineup as opposed exactly. to two pairs of shoes because we're this ridiculous with it. That, yeah, that's the way it goes, man. So looking now into the world of sports a little bit, or our world of sports, I should say, um, did you get a chance to see these at all? Uh, but in the last week or so, they've been hitting stores and a lot of people have been getting them. Uh, but AEW, which we talk about here on the show, uh, put out a, their very first set of wrestling figures. Did you check these out? Yeah, so as I've discussed it briefly on the pod and of course you know hey my son is uh six close to being seven next month and well a couple months in october and he's a big wrestling fan daddy rubbed off on him of course and i didn't force him into it i just you know he he gravitated towards it and he has a ton of figures um i mentioned too just a side note that uh one of our buddies shout out to pat pat caslin my man um his mom found the old big lgjn's um, from I love the eighties, yeah, and gave him like six six of those figures uh, last month, which was awesome. So he has a eclectic uh, amount and a uh, little collection of his own with the figures. But all that said, I of course looked into these uh, for him because he watches a bit of AEW with me, and he's a really big John Moxley fan of all people. So I actually picked up a uh, uh, you know just through uh, Ringside Collectibles, I picked up a Cody. Uh, Moxley and um, an AEW uh, replica title bout for his uh, birthday in October. Nice. Okay. Uh, I actually got a set of these. I'm somewhat of a toy collector, oh, you as you set. know, the J. I didn't get all of them. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Like, apparently, Brandy, Cody Rhodes' wife, is in the set. She has not made her way to stores at all. They kind of short-packed her for some reason. And there's a few Chase figures and stuff like that. But I did grab Jericho. Cody, uh, Omega, and the Young Bucks. And nice. dude, the essentials. I'm fucking impressed with these. I really am. Like, I have some Mattel stuff, as you know, too, like the WWE stuff. And I, I also collect some Nika horror figures and shit like that. Um, but yeah, for right out of the gate, and I was kind of apprehensive on these, you know, like I think we even talked because you asked me about them for Jace. And I was like, for play, I, you know, I think they're totally fine. But I'm like, man, they're. They're a little wonky looking from what I saw. And uh, that really isn't the case. They kind of translated pretty well. I'm, I'm really impressed with them. So, so you have, I, them, you I, have I, them in hand? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. And uh, it's kind of weird. I don't. Uh, we weren't collectors at this time, but I know you probably remember. Remember when WWE had the Jax license years ago? Oh, of course, yeah. And then they put out all these classic wrestlers, like all the old guys. And the way the box of those were is essentially what they did with the AEW figures. They're just a smaller version of it. And I thought that was kind of neat. I was like, oh, shit, 
that because I remember those boxes, even though I don't have any of them. I think I might have one that I got as a present from years ago, but it's just like you know, it's kind of a cool thing, and it's it, clearly they're aiming more because I, I uh, heard an interview with the guy that runs the company, and uh, he was basically saying that like uh, you know, action figure collectors these days are mainly adults. And they're really keeping that in mind with their line. So I'm like, oh shit, okay, so this is kind of going to be, like most things are now, um, aimed at more of an adult audience too. So, you know, you might see a lot more cooler shit. And I've seen some of the stuff that they're looking to put out uh, in the coming year. And dude, they got an MJF coming out. Uh, The Lucha Brothers look amazing. Because those two dudes are like, the way they look is built for toys and shit you know what i mean they look like fucking superheroes yeah um but i just thought it was cool like really impressed with them early on and you know i gotta say man we've talked about aew here on the show and this is just another facet of their business but so far so good man they're selling really well they're not even just the figures i'm talking like the figures they got like the t-shirts and the whole deal set up like that and the merch and the shows and the pay-per-views and everything and yeah, they're, I mean, you, you figure they've been a company now going on for what? A little over a year, would you say? Like around that Something like ish. that, yeah. Um, really, they're doing really well. Um, even in the, the, the pandemic era that we're talking about here, and we've talked about this on the show in the past too, the shows have been really good, considering. I've liked them way more than, than WWE, as we've talked uh, week in and week out. I just Absolutely. Never, never could get used to those. WWE Performance Center shows and the AEW facility. I don't know. It's just more appealing to me, and, and the overall show is more appealing to me. We're going to have a lot more WWE talk in the next segment, I promise, and it's going to be a doozy, guys. we got a lot of stuff. Um, one other wrestling thing that I wanted to talk about here uh, to start the show out. I, I just saw this today, and I thought this was really interesting and kind of shitty on the WWE's part. And I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but uh, former WWE superstars uh, Maria Kanellis and her husband, Mike Bennett, uh, who were released during the releases uh, during the pandemic, which we spoke about here on the show. Um, but she, Maria said in an interview that she begged the WWE not to use her personal life in a storyline if it's just going to be dropped. And if you follow the product, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, because she was um, pregnant. And it was all about her yes. pregnancy. And it was a really shitty angle where she basically treats her husband like a, a schmuck. You know what I mean? Like, it was really... I mean, it was good TV because they're good, but it's it's like, dude, yeah, this is wild. Like, yeah, let's like do this like shitty storyline. Basically, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of what it was. Um, and, you know, Maria's not one to mince words. She speaks up whenever shit bothers her, and I just thought that was a really shitty thing for them to do. But again, it doesn't really surprise me. I guess they were talking about... Um... Vince McMahon belittling the Rusev Day chant, and that's what that's her yeah to say something about this. Like she said, this doesn't surprise me, and then talked about her the, how their segments were pulled, even though she begged them not to use her personal life if they were just going to drop it anyway. And of course they do because they can, and they're assholes. Yeah, and it's pretty clear too. That, you know, good. I'm glad you brought it up too. The the mismanaging of Rusev. Um, this is this is like a guy that when he first came in, I didn't really like him. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I warmed up to him, and then I realized he was really fucking good. And I was shocked when he got released during the pandemic, you know, cuts. Um, but, like, dude, like, 
what the fuck? Like, it's a shame, kind of, that they just mismanaged the fuck out of Rusev because that dude's really good. It's one thing I'll never understand about the WWE machine is they, they struggle so much with creative a lot of the time. And we talked about Dan- Daniel Bryan in the past and how many hoops he had to jump through to finally mm-hmm. get to the main event picture. And it's the same thing with Rusev. Like, he's super over with the Rusev Day chant, and then they book against it. It's like because because it's like not it's like organic with the audience, yep. but not with their. They don't plans. like that. Yep. It, it all Zach Ryder is always too. Zach Ryder's fell victim to the same thing. Yep. Um, there's a lot of dudes, you know, through the years that we're have not ready to push to you. Same. So even though you're loved by our audience, we're gonna shit all over you. And it's like I don't know how many people listening really get what we're saying here, but like what we're saying is like when fans are just organically on your side. It's literally a license to print money because people want their merch. People want them on shows. People pay to watch them wrestle. You know, it's just that. Yeah, they get themselves over. They they constantly cut their nose off despite their face for some apparent reason in this company. And it's, you know, I'll tell you what, man. I think that, the and I mean, this is all, you know, Captain Obvious shit here. But it's like, man, they've gotten too comfortable in being the leader of the industry kind of thing, because for the last, you know, 19, 20 years, that's what not having on their own. Yep. That's what that breeds. And it just totally, I see it happening. Like, I don't know if you think about this or what, you know, how you feel about it. So I guess this is a better time than any to ask, but like, don't you kind of see part two happening here of like exactly what happened in the WCW years where they just think they know better than everybody. And, until someone else comes along that really puts their fucking ass to the fire. And it's like, you can't just do what you want now because this other company has resources and they're not fucking around. The biggest point to that is exactly that. One, they have the resources. AEW is owned by the cons that are billionaires. And yep. two is that demographic is factual that they've captured that for the last few weeks. And even somebody like Dave Meltzer uh, that's in the know with things like that is surprised by it. And, and that's a fact, you know, like that, yeah. that coveted demo has been all AEW. And again, with somebody that has deep pockets, you're going up against history repeats itself. Hey, Ed. So we should see. <laughs> I don't know if you ever watch this or not, but I've watched it through the years and I kind of go in and out. But I've been I've been watching it a lot lately. Do you watch being the elite on YouTube ever? No, honestly, I don't. So it's a pretty cool show. It's basically all AEW guys at this point, but it's mainly the Young Bucks and Kenny and, you know, like the the, uh, the original Elite guys. It's like their little show. But it's really cool because they'll, put, they'll make like a half-hour, 40-minute show that they put on YouTube every week, and it really utilizes a lot of, like, the undercard talent and stuff through AEW. So, it get, like, if you watch AEW TV, you think, uh, uh, what the hell is his name? I don't know, Brody Lee, uh, Luke. Luke Harper, former Luke Harper. Um, he's just like this McMahon clone or whatever. Like They don't do a lot of stuff with him specifically on TV, but he has a huge role on being the elite. So I, I kind of like it. But the reason why I bring it up is because probably over the last four or five weeks, like since that 18 to 49 demographic thing uh, popped up everywhere, uh, Matt Jackson does the thing on the show every week. He, he's called it's 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 fifty plus for the fifty plus or whatever. That's so they do they or no fifty second fifty plus seconds for the fifty plus. So it's basically like a fifty second segment that's boring. 
<laughs> like mm-hmm. the, the he'll talk about gardening or some or they'll do like chain wrestling and then the one he's doing <laughs> chain wrestling in black and white and he's like oh yeah like it's he's narrating himself wrestling so he's like all right I'm just gonna do an arm drag nope you know what I'm gonna do an arm bar I'm gonna slow it down because you know what as long as Jr is happy that's all that matters like, <laughs> it's it's really good I yeah, definitely I'll, urge I'll everybody to check yeah. it out it's it's a fun way to spend like a half hour and dude there's a dude in the dark order who I did not even really know of until this show and he's the funniest fucking dude maybe in the whole company is he under a mask I, no okay. i think his name is it's justin silver or silver silvero something like that i apologize i should know his name by now but like he's always the dude that luke harper like is shitting on like this fucking idiot and he's always like the the idiot doing the stupid thing like he's the comic relief of the group and he's fucking great. Like the one dude, he'll always like bitch at him. And he'll be like, what's his problem? And the guy's like, he's just a kid, man. And he's like, I'm 29 years old. I keep telling you that. Like, he's just always the, the, the butt of the joke. <laughs> but he's great. He's really good. And I'm really impressed with him on the show. And I had no idea that, uh, that this dude had the personality that he does. So it's it's another dude to keep an eye on because I feel like if this dude's even half as good in the ring as, as his personality is, he's going to be something for AEW eventually. And a lot of people don't even realize who the guy is. He's just a Dark Order guy. That's um, directly on YouTube, right? Yes. You can okay. go right to the Being the Elite. You, if you just look up Being the Elite, you'll get the channel, yeah. the whole deal. So check that out on YouTube if you wish as well. Uh, one more thing in our opening segment here that I wanted to ask you about the J, because I think this is really interesting, but the NBA playoffs are getting started today. So by the time you guys listen to this, the, these games are already going to be played. Um, but what do you think about the Lakers and Blazers, man? Because, boy, if there's one team that's going to be a major thorn in the side of the Lakers, I think the Blazers might be that team. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we've discussed ad nauseum week in and week out as sports fans. One of our bigger topics and the myriad of topics uh, that the What's Real podcast covers is sports, and we haven't had it. <laughs> so it's been a, a weird thing. You know, we've covered news and stuff and the pandemic situations, but uh, now with the the NBA being in full swing, um, I, I'm definitely checking out games when I can, and I'm really looking forward to this series, man. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, the Trailblazers and – particularly um, Damon Lillard. Man, is he Ooh. on fire. Hey, y'all. Wow. Killing it, man. And that, that reminds me, too, because he's been scoring so many points. I didn't watch this game yesterday, but the Jazz played yesterday. Dude, and Donovan Mitchell had 57. Yeah, it's just and they, it's a different, they it's like lost. A different kind of version of the NBA now. Yeah, it's like I like it, man. It, it's it's good. been really it's, fun. It's been entertaining. And Damon Lillard, yeah, like again, just standing out personality wise too. You know, he had that game where he it was like pump up shit, man. He's like making that face, like don't fuck with me. Yep. You know, and now he's going up against LeBron. So it's 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 great timing for the NBA to have this matchup. And um, yeah, like I said, dude, we'll be covering it, dude. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it looks to be a lot of fun. So uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break, guys. And when we come back, we are going to have the most supersized wrestling uh, segment we've had here on a, in a long time. We're going to be doing the final week of the 30-day wrestling challenge with a special bonus question that I posed for the J. And also, 
We're going to be previewing WWE SummerSlam coming up this weekend. We got some news about the Thunderdome, whatever that may be. We're going to explain that. Uh, They have a new residency that we spoke about here on the show before, too. We're going to get into that a little bit. And also, AEW has their schedule changed because of the NBA playoffs. So stay tuned for all that and much, much more right here on the What's Real podcast. Hey everyone, this is The J with the What's Real Podcast, here today for the unsung movie from Churchill Pictures in association with Cut and Run Studios, distributed by Bayview Entertainment. The unsung, in an old industrial town, a homeless man, Eric, roams the streets looking for a place to rest when he comes across a young girl, Samara, in danger. He runs to her aid and as a kind gesture, she leads him to a homeless village where he is inspired by the friendships he makes there. Soon, he finds himself involved in the search for a serial killer while running afoul of the lead detective. The Unsung is now available to stream digitally to rent or own on Vimeo.com through a direct link at ChurchillPictures.com and now is available on Amazon Prime Video to rent or own. Go to ChurchillPictures.com, Vimeo.com, or AmazonPrimeVideo.com to check out The Unsung today. Hope lives in the shadows. Hey everyone, this is The J with the What's Real podcast, here to talk about the feature film Deference from Churchill Pictures in association with Cut and Run Studios. Deference, two best friends get in deep with the head of Pittsburgh's most dangerous crime operation and are forced to choose between their friendship and their lives. Deference is available to rent or own today through streaming at Vimeo.com, ChurchillPictures.com, or on AmazonPrime.com. Also, pre-order USB hard copies of Deference now. Churchill Pictures' first feature film will soon be available to own in a hard copy format. The film will be available on a USB flash drive, preserving its best quality and exclusive collector's edition packaging. To pre-order, simply email us at churchillpicturesllc at gmail.com to reserve your copy today. Only $9.99 plus shipping. Deference. When tradition fades, order preserves respect. Check it out today at churchillpictures.com, vimeo.com, or streaming on Amazon Prime. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for the jam-packed wrestling segment this week. Uh, We have the 30-day wrestling challenge, which we're going to get into here shortly. But first, let's get into some other stuff here. Real quick, the Thunderdome was just announced. Uh, Basically, the WWE is doing a residency at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida from this point forward. Um, It's not known really that uh, what they're doing. Uh, We don't know if this is going to be pay-per-views, if this is going to be everything, but I have a funny feeling that they're moving there for everything. NXT, everything. So uh, basically what the Thunderdome is, is WWE is calling it like this revolutionary process where they have these screens and it's going to have unprecedented fan reaction stuff that's, you know, virtual. Uh, There's going to be drones and crazy cameras and everything. Uh, I don't know if this is going to make the show any better, but it's certainly interesting. What do you think, man? It's interesting. You know, what can you say? I mean, as I have been saying over and over with my take on the current pandemic era, if you will, WWE product is the the staleness that I feel the performance center has created, uh, at least for me personally, man. I mean, that's been a, a big thing for me and not really caring, caring about the product all that much. 
Um, so this this is something I think that they needed to do to change things up. And yep. as usual, the WWE is good at this, man. They make it sound uh, appealing. You know, in a, in a press conference, they said that it's a state of the art viewing experience. Uh, like you mentioned, it's going to utilize a new set, which, you know, Jared, man, I'm always talking mm-hmm. about the goddamn stale-ass WWE set and everything looking the same. So that's going to be something uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out. Video boards, pyros, lasers, drone cameras, cutting-edge graphics. So they're aiming it uh, for it to be a unique fan experience and completely different from what, what they've been doing. And as we've we've said, I mean, it's desperate times call for def- desperate measures with everything. So I think they were, you know, putting their heads together to fi- figure out something to do that's different. And I'm all for it, man. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with it. Ho- hopefully it's something that's really cool. And maybe this is uh, an official rival to AEW's programming, uh, at least at least from, for me, in my viewing. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, it gets started this Friday, uh, the day the show drops with SmackDown. And it's going to, the, the main reason they're focusing on it is specifically for SummerSlam this upcoming Sunday. Um, so what do you say, the Jay? Let's go through that and run it down real quick and let's see what they got on the menu for us. First up, there's been a feud going on uh, for a while with these two. And one of them just made major world news this past week because of a crazy fan stalking her. But we have Mandy Rose versus Sonya Deville in a hair versus hair match, which is kind of surprising. Um, is this something you even care about? And also, do you think they're actually going to go through with the stipulation on this one? So I kind of just found out about the stocking thing. So that's legit, right? That's not a WWE storyline. No, no, that's real as fuck. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I, was, I meant to ask you about that. So no better place to do it than the pod here live on the air but yeah i mean as far as the match goes um at least they add a little bit to it it's not just a mandy rose sonia deville match uh, you know the hair versus hair thing um i'd be very surprised to see mandy rose uh lose um because i could see sonia deville doing something like this with with uh the difference between their personalities as far as shaving your head as as the loser uh but that does add that does add something to it and they do have history between the two of them as well, at least, like storyline-wise. Going back before Mania. There could be worse matchups. Yeah, so, I mean, I I don't know what the match is going to be like, but I'm interested because they've been building up the storyline, like I said, for months. So we'll see if anything comes of that. It could be very interesting, or it could be a total stinker. Um, Before we get into every match being a title match, let's get into the one other match that's not. And it's one of the more build-up matches on the entire show, with Dominic Mysterio with his dad, Rey Mysterio, facing off against Seth Rollins with Buddy Murphy. Uh, It's a singles match, of course, and it is a street fight. Uh, You might have seen some of the news clips or some of the stuff from the past couple weeks, uh, especially not last night, but the week before on Raw, where Seth beat the living shit out of him with a kendo stick. And I mean, bad. Like, they even, there was wrestlers even talking about it this past week, and there were some pictures that hit online of, what, you know what his back looked like after it, and he definitely took shots. Oh, that was crazy! Yeah, he had shots on his front and back uh, yep. with the kendos, and uh, they they hooked me with this. Hey, Ed, I have to admit, I'm I'm actually very interested in this match. I want to see how Dominic Mysterio does uh, in ring, of course, uh, just doing kind of spotty stuff leading up to this. Uh, smart for them to put him in the street fight. You know, he kind of has that as a, a safety net to not just a straight up you know, have to carry a, a professional wrestling style match for his 
big debut here. So, um, you know, they could be using weapons in different parts of the arena and stuff like that. So I think that was a smart route to take uh, for Dominic's first match. And and I've, I've liked what they've done building this up. I, I did watch Raw last night, blew through it, of course, with the uh, power of the, the DVR and getting Thank through God. the hours of yeah, commercials. And, <laughs> dude, I, I, I clocked it. The first match, there wasn't a, a wrestling match uh, uh two wrestlers locking up until the 26 minute mark so uh, they're, still, they're still doing that <laughs> yeah even in the the whole pandemic era <sighs> shit and whatnot but uh but yeah su- sum it up man um i'm looking this is one of the the main matches i'm looking forward to uh just for sheer curiosity and interest of how dominic does and i think he's in good hands of course working with one of the current best pound for pound wrestlers in the world in my opinion still with seth rollins Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, too, pretty much for the same reasons that you said. Um, I don't like Seth Rollins at all. Um, he's good. His character is goofy. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's he's like the most bland guy in the world, and that's such a shame too because he's so good. Um, so yeah, I expect that one to be a reasonably decent match. At the very least, there's a curiosity factor to it. So uh, with that alone, I think it's pretty cool. So uh, I'm down with that. So we'll see how that goes, and uh, we'll have a full review for for you guys next week on that. Um, also. I thought this was kind of cool, too, because this is another feud that they've been building up pretty heavily. But Asuka has two title matches as she's going to challenge Bayley for the SmackDown Women's Championship and Sasha Banks for the Raw Championship in two separate matches. Um, What do you think the possibility is of Sasha or Bayley losing their belt? I like this. Uh, So the only problem I really have with this is that these particular women, it seems like, have just been feuding with one another for years. And yep. I get it, uh, again, with the pandemic era, the, the, all the roster's not there, uh, especially with the women's. It's usually not even as, as loaded as the men's anyway to begin with in normal times and everything. So I understand it. But, yeah, that, that aspect um, is one thing, you know, small negative. Other than that, I think it's pretty cool what they're doing here because uh, Asuka can definitely handle two matches on, yep. on one show. And um, you can't go wrong with her and Sasha. Uh, Bailey. Uh, we've both discussed it. We're not big on her character as much modern, but I, I still think she'll she'll put in a good match. So I could see them possibly going down the route because the storyline leading up to this has been the fact that uh, Sasha and Bailey have dominated the current women's division, have all the belts. So I yep. could see them doing kind of a swervish kind of thing and having Asuka win both, you know, for something different and uh, to kind of propel the storylines forward. This is kind of the way I see this shaking out because they did last night on Raw, uh, if you remember, they had the tag match where they had Asuka tag with Baszler for the first time. And Shayna Baszler said, like, you know, bottom line is is I'm challenging whoever has that Raw title after SummerSlam. So she's already like the de facto number one for the Raw. So this is what I see happening. I have a feeling that Asuka is going to beat Sasha Banks for the Raw belt. That's going to create the rift between Bailey and Sasha. Asuka's going to go on to feud with Baszler. And you're going to have this angle where essentially Bailey and Banks are pissed at each other, but they're currently the Raw Women's Tag Champs. And they're going to ride that until the, when it explodes, when they lose the belts, and then they're going to probably get the one-on-one feud. Um I don't know. They've been kind of holding that off. Remember, they were like over a year ago, they looked like they were going to feud, and then they just didn't do it. 
Um, but I think they're going to finally pull the trigger on that because I don't think they know really what else to do in this scenario. Yeah, exactly. They've been teasing that to eye-rolling proportions. And, and I think if uh, – because that's a great call head. I mean, that's definitely a route they can take. And if they do go that route, hopefully the big payoff match between Sasha and Bailey, the stipulation, the stipulation is after this match, neither woman will ever wrestle one another or be on each other's tag team ever, ever again. Yeah, because <laughs> they should been be attached for like you. Fucking, it, it, like, seems like a decade. You could make them cool if you want to. Just they're singles just wrestlers. Keep them away from each they, other in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There, there's just whatever works in that regard. So, another match that I'm not looking forward to whatsoever, and I'm kind of tired of this dragging on beyond belief. Uh, Apollo Crews is going to defend the United States Championship against MVP in a match, again, that I don't think anybody cares about or wants to see. And even last night on Raw, they had Apollo Crews fight Shelton Benjamin. And I'm like, well, they gave us the best match out of the three already. I don't want to see this. I don't care. Just move on already. I don't. They're clearly kind of stuck with what Heyman did with Apollo, and they don't know what to do with him now. So they're just keeping him in like this weird holding pattern of feuding with MVP and his dudes. It sucks. Apollo is another guy that had so much potential coming into um, NXT, then getting brought up, and it just classic uh, one that talented guy, creative just buries because they don't know how to properly book him, and that's where we're at with this, and I'm right with you, Hey Ed. I, I don't care much about this, and I'm a big fan of MVP, but his modern character and run uh, is the same kind of thing with Apollo. It's just very bland. Nothing stands out to me, so uh, this match is kind of like one of the throwaways for me personally on the card. Same. Um, now, another match that I'm actually really looking forward to because the, the feud's been pretty good. It's been taking up a lot of TV time, and, you know, whatever you want to say about the feud's irrelevant to me. Um, I just think that this is going to be the payoff, and thus it's going to be a really good match. And, of course, I'm talking about the WWE Raw Tag Team Championship matchup between the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins, and Montez Ford, uh, defending against Zelina Vega's guys and Andrade and Angel Garza, who I like a lot. Um, this dude, that show. The, dude, the athleticism in this match is crazy. Yep, show stealing potential. Hey, Il. so I uh, had this eyed up too as one of my asterisks for the J to pay attention to, and I'm going to perk up um, when they pop up on the card because I think they can steal the show. And dude, I am a huge fan of Montez Ford. I think yep. this dude is. I mean, his personality is great anyway. But he is super athletic, and dude, just bear with me here on this. I w I've been thinking about this recently, just watching the show, because they recently brought back uh, Bianca Belair, kind of like in their corner again. And dude, I because her and Montez Ford are married in real life, I could totally see them doing some sort of like macho man Liz thing with them from this point like if they separate him out of the tag team and by that I mean like they make a really good pair they both feed off each other very well and it'll even work oppositely because she's not Liz she actually wrestles uh, I'm a big fan of both of them and I think they're two of the better people they have on the roster period at this point but man Montez Ford to me is a major major superstar in waiting yeah, this whole segment worked because they have um, Zelina Vega, you know, in contrast to Bel Air, and she's like, you know, it's uh, all controversial if she 
poisoned Montez <laughs> yeah. and stuff. I like so. that. I know yeah, it's hokey it, shit, but I like that. Exactly. As long as there's something to it, you know. Just I, I just hate when the WWE does the throwaway stuff. Same. It's, you know, it's, it's not anything that's lighting the world on fire, but at least it adds, you know, some sort of levity to the, the feud. And again, like we said, in ring wise, depending on the time and all that, which I think, you know, in this kind of card, they're going to get uh, the chunk of time they need. I think this Same. is going to be a really good highlight match. Absolutely. So uh, we'll have to see how that one works out. There's a couple other matches here. Well, I shouldn't say a couple other matches. There's really one match here that I don't want to see at all. We're getting it again for some reason, and it's the singles match for the WWE Universal Championship with the one of the worst champions in recent memory in Braun Strowman defending against The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. I'm assuming this is just the match to get the fucking belt off Strowman. I hope so anyway, and I don't even like The Fiend that much, but... Get the belt off of fucking Strowman already. His reign has been putrid. It's been horrible, and that's where I'm at with it. Let's just breeze through this one and move on to the main event. Because yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm just like kind of with this. Yeah, and this one now I think some of the build up here has been pretty good for this. I'm not thrilled with all of it, but I'm really interested in seeing what this the blow off. I feel like this is the blow off. So, and I'm talking about the WWE Championship match with champion Drew McIntyre defending against Randy Orton. Um this one's going to be pretty good. I mean, Orton, I'm not the biggest Orton fan, but he's serviceable. And when guys are good, he can work with them. And I really think Drew McIntyre is very good in the ring. And this is a really good opponent for him. I just feel like the matchup, like, you know, whenever you get two guys that, you know, they might not blow your mind, but like when they are paired together, it's like, oh, I like that matchup. And I, I don't know what it is specifically other than just, years of watching wrestling and me knowing when that that I see that and that's exactly what I see here is just a solid matchup with two guys the WWE championship which is the main championship is on the line they're going to get the time they're going to get a cool angle or something in this so I'm I'm looking forward to this I think it's going to be really good it's all chemistry hate you up you know it it's that that unbridled chemistry and these two have it I love the build-up to this. Uh, we mentioned, like, Orton gets really stale at points. He's been around forever. It's that sort of thing. And the whole WWE machine, you know, the way it works and everything, guys can get very stale, and that's where where he fits a lot of the time. But they gave him the punt back, which was gone for a that's while. That's awesome. The, yeah, and they gave him the legend killer thing. So he, he's taken out, like, who? Big Show, Christian, Flair, and then, of course, last night, um, as we record on Tuesdays, last night's Raw, he uh, punted Michaels, yep. Shawn Michaels. So um, I've loved the build up to this. And uh, yeah, like you said, man, I think it's a great matchup. And this this is actually a main event for the first time in a while, especially on a big show in pandemic era, uh, era WWE that I'm looking forward to. Same. Yeah, I think uh, overall, I you know what? I don't think this is that great of a card. I really don't. Um, it's not a bad card, but I'm just not thrilled with it overall. But I have a funny feeling that this is going to be one of those shows going into it where it's like, man, I'm not expecting much, maybe a couple good matches. And then at the end of the night, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that it so was a pretty good show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's it's possible that they could pull off a really good show here. I, I'm really, I think one of the things that's really going to help it might sound stupid to a lot of people. I know you're going to understand me on this one, the Jay. The brand new setup. The Thunderdome shit, 
you know, let's see what they could do because I and they they have a tagline for the show too. It's like SummerSlam. You'll never see this coming. So it has me thinking that they're they're really going to come out of left field with some stuff for this show to really try and make it as memorable as they can. And plus, too, it's kind of like, remember how we didn't know what to look forward to when it came to the Boneyard match at WrestleMania? And then when right. we saw what it actually was, it's like, oh, this is really fucking cool. I think there's a strong possibility of the same thing, where SummerSlam, it's like, eh, the Thunderdome, what is this? And then it ends up being something really cool that we enjoyed. Not saying it's going to be great forever, but at least for one pay-per-view and one night, it's going to be an enjoyable show. It goes right into what we were talking about in the AEW portion of our opening segment, with them being, you know, again, we're not saying that they're direct competition by any means yet with WWE and especially like the main card guys and everything like that. But going to the talk that we had about that demographic, I think this is the the counter, you know, the counter to that. And it's like, yeah. okay, guys, we really got to do something. Like you had mentioned, hey, Ed, I think that they were in cruise control. They were in the pandemic era trying to figure things out. Then they're realizing like, dude, you know, AEW is starting to – breathe a little bit down our neck here. Uh, they have the the factors that, that we talked about. You know, Vince and Trips are very well aware of the, the pockets that AEW's Tony Khan has and the Khan family and everything that we've discussed. Like if the Jay and Hey Ed are talking about it, you know Vince and, and Triple H and Stephanie are very aware of it. And I very think much. this is their, their, their counter programming, like of having to change things up and, and really try to do something unique. To, to spice up their programming. So, yeah, to everything you said, too, um, I'm looking forward to this, actually, when, say, like, a week and a half even, maybe two weeks ago, I was just like, oh, watch SummerSlam with my son. You know, now I'm, like, looking forward to it. See, and that leads me into what I want to talk about next here, and the competition is getting pretty fierce. So it has been announced that because of the NBA playoffs that uh, AEW had to have their time changed, and they will be on now. Uh, instead of being on Wednesday night, uh, August 19th, the episode is going to air on Saturday, August 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on TNT after the NBA playoffs. Now, WWE, the same night, has NXT TakeOver. And also, they showed yesterday that starting at 4 p.m. on Fox, they're doing a SummerSlam's Greatest Matches show. So they're constant. They're all like, you know, uh, NXT was already scheduled. Then uh, TNT decided to schedule their show, uh, so it happens during some part of TakeOver. Then WWE counters by putting a special on at 4 o'clock, and there's the, the pre-show for uh, TakeOver starting at 6. So they're all doing like this counteractive programming uh, to each other. But the one thing that I wanted to bring up here, obviously with AEW changing their times, this is going to be going on for about a month with AEW, okay? So I mentioned what's going to happen with the Wednesday show. The following Wednesday, uh, there will be no episode of uh, Dynamite. Instead, AEW is going to be airing All Out. Their pay-per-view from 2019, Part 1, is going to air on Wednesday, August 19th at 8 p.m. on the official AEW YouTube channel. And the Wednesday episode is going to air on Thursday, August 27th at 8 p.m. on TNT. Um, Then it's going to be AEW All Out 2019, Part 2, is going to air on YouTube on 8-26 at 8 p.m. And on Wednesday, 9-16, your boy's birthday, by the way, 
There's going to be a special one-hour dynamite immediately following the NBA playoffs, and the Wednesday 9-16 episode will air in full on Thursday, September 17th at 8 p.m. on TNT. So just some updates to the schedule and everything going on for AEW as well, something you might want to keep in mind if you are following the product weekly on TV, that for about the next month, things are going to be a little sporadic. And of course, on their AEW YouTube channel, they're going to give you in two parts the All Out from 2019, which is a very, very good pay-per-view event. If you guys that, that haven't seen it, me. check yeah, it out. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's Definitely good, missed man. It, so. I'm, I'm gonna watch, watch it at Steve's. I'm gonna watch it again. So it's I'm yeah. looking, and that's something I was thinking about too, man. That AEW kind of needs to get on the ball with is like, how do you go back and watch their old pay per views at this point? They don't release them on DVD or Blu-ray. They don't have a network. They don't just put them directly on their YouTube or even a pay service. And that's something that AEW is gonna need to change because. You know, your pay-per-view is the best wrestling that your company has to offer, or it should be that way. And if people can't go back and, and kind of relive some of those moments, it means that you're not taking care of your legacy, and that's something that WWE does flawlessly. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, that's 50-plus years compared to, like we mentioned, a year and a, a couple months. But I'm with you. I mean, that's something that they have to remedy in the near future, and I'm sure they will. You know, again, I feel like that's something that they're they're aware of. And, and, you know, something will come in, in the near future that uh, takes care of that and has their, their stuff available, at least even, you know, some sort of uh, cheaper pay service or something. You know, yep. I, I, f- I feel like they need more content, too. At Me, too. Point, you know, so. yep. So we'll have to see how that goes. But ladies and gentlemen, if you guys have been listening to the show, you know we've been doing the 30-day wrestling challenge. Well, it's time to do the final week. This is days 23 through 30 with a special bonus question. So, the J, day 23, what's your favorite time period in wrestling? So, um, I hate to keep doing that, I'm sure, with our uh, regular listeners, eye-rolling that I have to, like, explain my build-up to this because we all know this is tough. We're naming one thing, and we're huge lifelong wrestling fans. So, all that said, I was definitely pondering this. This was another um, day that I was pondering for a while, and I just went with my gut. I went with my, you know, prime of fiending wrestling. And that says a lot because when I got sucked into it in 92, as, as I always say, it became an obsession with me. So I went with the Monday Night Wars, the late 90s. Hey, yo. Okay. Yeah, that's a good which, time period. Which would, which would include ECW, you know. Yep. Um, that's, that's another deciding factor for me. Because uh, I was pondering on the childhood stuff and the earlier stuff. But, again, being my unique comeuppance in wrestling with coming in on you know the specific 92 year and stuff and not being like you, that you legitimately watched it since you were a super little kid, like with your memory from when you were four and stuff. I figured, you know what, dude, I was like obsessed to the point of creating my own backyard wrestling league, eventually you know getting trained. So it, it all stemmed from the Monday Night Wars, all the competition, and in turn, the great matches that came from all that. Yeah, I was trying to do this without putting a bunch of outside factors on it. You know, like, because I obviously could have picked that same time period just because of the fact that, like, that was a really fun part in all of our lives when we were younger and everything. Exactly. So it was really cool, and it's an easy thing to pick. 
But I went the childhood route. I had to. So we're talking like mid to late 80s here. That's the time period for me, without a doubt, just where I absolutely fell in love with pro wrestling and I was just obsessed with it, toys, everything. So you're talking like the golden era. So it would have been like 87, 88. It was just, there was nothing in my life at that point that was more important to me than pro wrestling. And I don't know if I could say that about any other time in my life. So, and even though I would obsess about it for years after that, as you know, too. Um, but that was just the one time period where it was just a major, major thing for me. There's nothing like the original, man. And that's when it started for you. So that's the way I, I would go to, man. It's a good call. Uh, all right. Next up on the list is day 24, the most shocking moment. So, hey, y'all, I'll throw this at you. Um, with this week's days, I have three categories with the way it worked out that I have honorable mentions. But like we've been working it, I'll let you, um, you know, say your piece too, just so we don't, I don't like steal yours uh, with my honorable mention. Um, but you know, because this was just too hard uh, between the two, because uh, both of them pretty much made me feel the same in different ways. But my my first one um, was Hell in a Cell, the moment with um, Mankind getting thrown off the cage at, in Pittsburgh at the Civic Arena. Me, uh, yourself. Mr. Hayeel and the J both there in person with her buddy Gus. Shout out yep. to Gus. And I just go back to that because being there live, seeing him get thrown off the top, and we'll, we'll have to tell the story on the story time uh, segment we're, we're going to have uh, here and there in the future you know, with our whole account of, of that night. But we just assumed that him getting thrown off the top, that that was it. And the way that the story was playing playing off with the cage starting to come up, and especially that time and being younger fans, we're like, okay, he's done. And that was still the best thing ever. Like we just saw like one of the best bumps of all time. He got thrown off the cage. Yep. Then he comes back and climbs up, and like the rest is history, as they say. Uh, so that's what I mentioned for my first, um, you know, most surprising moment was just being there. Or I'm sorry, most shocking moment, just being there. Like holy shit. Yep, it's really hard to pass that up. Um, I did just because I didn't want to pick... Because obviously being there live, it's even more insane. So there's only two answers to me for this one, and that was one of them. But I'm going to pick, and I'm glad I did it this way, because then I actually... uh, We have two choices here. And I have a funny feeling this is going to be your honorable mention. But this is the most shocking moment in wrestling history to me. I still remember the day where this happened, and when it was over... My jaw was definitely on the ground. We couldn't believe what we just saw. And that was in 1996 at the WCW Bash in the Beach pay-per-view when Hulk Hogan went heel and became the third member of the NWO. That blew our fucking minds. I watched this with a group of friends. It was still, like, we couldn't get over it. Like, they, he's a fucking heel. This is insane. I get it. And it ended up leading to one of the biggest, well, the biggest time period in WCW history. And it launched the Monday Night Wars into another stratosphere. So that's why I picked uh, the Hogan uh, heel turn. That's such a great call. And you probably don't remember this, but my family takes a yearly trip to Florida growing up. Yep. I was actually in Florida at the time. And of course, back then, like I couldn't get a pay-per-view by myself. 
I did not see that live. Yep. And I had to hear it from you guys. And Roth was running, our friend Roth, shout out to Roth, running down the street. He just literally yelling. just, yeah, he literally ran out so of the I house. I missed that with you guys. We were, like, I remember me and Squid, like, just staring at each other with our mouths open, like, what the fuck? Yeah, Seriously? So I missed that live. That was crazy. That was shocking moment. That, it really is. So that, that so we, it, what was your runner? Was that your runner up or did you have something else? I said, and I hate bringing it up again because it's so sad, but Owen Hart. Ah, uh, that's a good I one. Mean, we'll, we'll never forget that either. You know, that whole pay-per-view and uh, we yeah. covered it. You know, check out our past. Uh, Dark Side, Dark of, the Side Ring. of the Ring. We cover it thoroughly in our reactions. But yeah, I mean, that was just ridiculously shocking. Yeah, that's true. No, I'd, I'd agree with that one too. That's a very good choice. So moving on to day 25, what is your favorite match type? So for this one, I just thought, you know, I'm going to go to obviously stipulations. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what you do in this category. And again, there was a bunch of options, a bunch of different ways to think about it and just having fun on the podcast. I said, fuck it. I, you know, as a kid, when this was introduced and especially you'll see what I'm saying with the initial two, maybe three of them. And I went with TLC. That's a really good choice. It always, of course, depends on the guys in the match, but they seem exactly. to, they, they always seem to put them in, you know, in the right way. Um, so I was trying to think about this too. And I could, there's a whole myriad of ways I could have went. I really wanted to go two out of three falls, but I think that they've done that so poorly in a lot of matches that it's kind of taken the luster off. And I don't like the Iron Man matches because I just think it's like you're watching a bunch of wrestling before you, like, you know, when the match is going to end no matter what. So that takes a little bit away too. So I was kind of thinking the same way that you were thinking. And this was an idea that at first I was like, ah, this just seems like thrown together bullshit. And what it's actually resulted in to me is some of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. And I'm going with the money in the bank match because I think that like that's always a big deal when they do it because you know the guy that wins is going to be a major storyline factor for a while. And that match has made a lot of guys' careers. Like Edge made his career with the Money in the Bank. Punk made his career with the yeah, Money in the Bank. Daniel yep. Bryan made his career with Money in the Bank. There's a lot of dudes that, that really got that extra extra boost from winning that match. And I think, you know, even uh, you know, like they they kind of changed it to at points. Like I remember the one year that we were expecting money in the bank, but instead they made the intercontinental be a ladder, a ladder match. And that's the year that Zack Ryder won. So like, I think that's a really good formula and it gets a lot of guys on the show. It lets them kind of, you know, show their athleticism and what they can really do. And it ends up being one of the most memorable matches every year uh, before when they were doing it WrestleMania, but now it got its own pay-per-view. So, you know, that's why I picked that one. Absolutely. Uh, Day 26. What's your favorite debut or return? So this one is an honorable mention one for me. Hey, Um, my initial one, though, just because it's something that, you know, that's what made me pick it. Of course, it's something that I go back and rewatch kind of regularly. You know, I mean, it gets longer between years or whatever, but I I, I guess it's like a goosebump moment. And I went with uh, Chris Jericho's WWE debut when they built up the uh, clock and the countdown. And, of course, The Rock was in the ring cutting a promo. And that's when the the countdown was ending and coming to zero. And it was uh, Chris Jericho, pretty popular in WCW, coming over to WWE. And they had that great interaction. So I went with that. Okay. 
uh, I don't know if this counts. I might have cheated on this one, but I think it's a, it, it makes a fair point. So years and years ago, there was a big news story where Vince McMahon was bringing the NWO back. And it was announced that Hogan, Hall, and Nash were coming back. And a lot of people were kind of groaning about it at the time because they these guys weren't up to the level of the WWE at that point. The WWE's in-ring style was ridiculous. Um, they had some severe talent in the company at that point. And it just didn't seem like they would fit in very well. And frankly, Hall and Nash really didn't. Um, but because Hogan got the match with The Rock. And at the time, we were all kind of like apprehensive. Like, what's this really going to be? But the reason why I chose it is because of what the result was of The Rock and Hogan match. That I end- buy that. That's a good way to look at it. That ended up being one of the best WrestleMania moments of all time because of a weird return. And the reason why I picked it for this is because in my memory, if I'm correct on this, and maybe somebody will know and I'm wrong, that was Hogan's first match back. Yeah, no, because, I mean, he might have done something little on Raw, but I'm pretty sure. Not know, a singles right. match, at least, you know exactly. what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. That's... And, and I think what, what built that up so well was that the whole return in the NWO WWE version was kind of like nowhere near, of course, the original WCW NWO. It was kind of wishy-washy and a lukewarm response. It wasn't yep. some huge thing. And then WrestleMania, everybody will tell you from Jim Ross to Jerry Lawler that nobody expected that reaction. It just became such a historic, not only even WrestleMania moment, but like you said, just wrestling period moment. So um, I, I like your line of thinking there, Hey Ed, and I think that's a good call on, on return. And also, we have a little bit of insight on this, too, because our buddy Gus, who we spoke about on the show before, actually attended that WrestleMania. So we've got to talk to him about, like, what was it like in the crowd? What was this like? And he was like, dude, that was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah, he won't forget it. Yeah, and I'm jealous of him to get to... to and it's this is really weird that I remember this, but how's this for funny? Um, the, the, I'm going to say Wednesday or Thursday before that WrestleMania, I actually spent three or four days in New York city. Uh, I just took a trip there with the girl that I was dating at the time. And I happened to go to the previous WWF New York, uh, in times square the, that weekend. So they had a ton of shit that was all for WrestleMania. Like we ate there and they had like the WrestleMania build up and outside on the marquee, they had video of like every, uh, matchup happening at WrestleMania. So like, I always attribute that WrestleMania with the weekend I spent in New York at that time. And then to come home and watch that WrestleMania was really cool. So that always sticks out as a great memory for me too. And, uh, that's why I chose that for, uh, you know, my favorite debut or return. So that's a good call. Yeah, I, I had a quick, no, quick honorable mention here. Sure. Hey, it's just a t- tidbit one, but that was um, when John Cena came back at the rumble. That was cool because nobody knew at the time, uh, you know, this was a time past when wrestling fans could be surprised. Practically. It just keeps getting harder and harder, especially present day. Of course, yep. just in the internet, social media era, it's just so hard to surprise. And we all love surprises, especially in wrestling. That's one of the, 
the big aspects of pro wrestling when they could really surprise the audience, especially the, the hardcore audience. And that rumble, John Cena had tore his bicep off the bone like a few months prior. And he was like supposedly out for like nine months to a year. And he came back within a very short period of time. It was the last um, rumble entrant and it just huge pop. It was Madison Square Garden. And that's another one that I go back specifically to rewatch because of the goosebumps and the, the pop up. So, you know, just for the talk of it, just wanted to mention it. Yeah, definitely one of the best moments of Cena's career, in my opinion. So I definitely would agree with that 100%. So that's a good choice, too. Um, day 27, and I have a funny feeling we might give the same answer for this one. What, <laughs> I was thinking so because we talk about it. What's your favorite title belt? I went with the original Eagle. Yep, winged Eagle belt. Nothing the, nothing yeah, beats that. The era, man. And, dude, you know what's awesome? Uh, a couple years ago, you know my buddy Jeremy. We went to school with Jeremy. Shout out to Jer who listens to the show. Uh, but he, around the holidays one year, like a couple of years ago, they were running a belt deal. And he's like, dude, I think I'm going to pull the trigger on that that belt. And then I guess he got, I forget what it was, and I hope I'm not outing him here. He got a bonus from work. or something. Like he came into some extra money somehow, and they had the special. And he's like, dude, I bought it. And like it comes with a little stand and shit, and he has it up on like a, a bookcase in his house, and it looks sick. It's it's just that's a belt that's really cool, even if it's only just like a replica to hold in your hand, because oh, that dude. that to that's me a is a just the belt to me. So I love that fucking belt. I always have. So, and you know, I think it's a safe bet to say that like our fi- me and you personally, like our favorite champions of all time, like that's the belt that they held. That's how I went about it. Yep. I mean, that's just the classic one. I couldn't pick anything else. So let's move on here. Day 28, favorite WrestleMania moment. Man, so many of them. Hey, Ed, you know how this goes. I'm not going to tangent this. Um, So a big part of the Jays 30-day challenge has been my favorite wrestler of all time. So I kind of kept with that, the gut personal stuff. And I went with Michael's winning the world championship for the first time against Bret Hart in the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. It's funny that you say that because I did the same thing you did. I went with my favorite wrestler. So my answer is Macho Man Randy Savage winning the WWF title at WrestleMania 4. For the tourney. The tourney. That was just like, dude, oh, my God. uh, Ted DiBiase, Million Dollar Man in the finals. And it is just. All the different outfit changes. Yeah. It's just such a. It's like, dude, when I think of the Trump Plaza WrestleManias, even though there was two of them there. Macho yeah. Man's the first guy, not even Hogan, Macho Man's the first guy, because he won the tournament, and then he came back the next year and defended it in the main event against Hogan, so I associate those shows with that that Macho Man babyface run that was one of my favorite runs of all time. Great call. Can't argue that, hey, yo. It, right, moving right along here, let's go to day 29. Your favorite wrestling t-shirt. So again, I'm going to name my favorite. This one I actually have two honorable mentions because I figured it's fucking t-shirts. Like, you know, again, just to, to throw them out there. Because I always, this was my my trifecta. These were my three three favorites of all time. But I, I won't digress from the challenge and I'll name my favorite. And once again, the, the one of the, the things for, with our podcast and what's real with Ed and I being super best friends and close friends growing up together, we experienced this together 
and were two of the first WWF fans ever to buy this T-shirt. Yep, I went with the original Austin 316. That's you know what's funny. I was I I kind of did the same thing here. I was like, my favorite wrestling T-shirt of all time is one that I never had, and it's the Purple Macho Man one with the glasses and it says which his I, name, which I have. That's a great yeah. fucking shirt. I have a black one. That's similar, but I that original purple with the black lettering. Oh, love, it's one of my. That's my ever, shit, yeah. and but that's not my choice. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I love that one. But my personal favorite wrestling T-shirt is the same one you just said, the Austin three sixteen, because me and you had tickets to a house show in ninety seven, and we were big fucking Austin marks at the time. He was like one of our favorite dudes in the company. And we walked in and we always go to the merch stand and see what they had. We saw that Austin three sixteen shirt and we both just looked at each other like, dude, I've not even seen this yet. Like we'd never seen that shirt in our life until the day we both bought it. And then I that was because that, that was when he was starting to blow up. He still wasn't the Austin we know today. It was not too far after that King of the Ring where he made the famous. Promo. So it's ninety six. I apologize. It wasn't ninety seven. Yeah. You're right. And dude, I remember this because, like, say it was like a Friday night. We went to the the house show. We bought those shirts, and it was like, dude, Monday. These motherfucking shirts are gonna be everywhere. We turn on Raw on Monday. Austin comes out with the shirt. Everybody in the crowd's wearing the shirt. And we're like, dude, we saw this before fucking almost anybody. As far as we know, if there was people that saw it before us, it was it was like two or three days. It wasn't no one had this fucking thing a month before we found it. Period. Yeah, it's such a classic. And uh great shirt. To show too. Out my, shout, oh, it's amazing. Shout out my honorable mentions here. The other one was the ECW shirt. That on the back it said ECW Hardcore Wrestling and it was a black shirt with red and white, and then on the back it said In Blood. It's not for everyone. Yep, love that shirt. And then the the last one was the original DX shirt. I love that shirt. That was a good and one too. I had yeah. to mention, which is hilarious. Naming my three favorite T-shirts, and that's probably why I also name these because I have. I think we've mentioned on the the podcast. Ed and I are collectors. One of the collections I have is T-shirts. So I've tons and tons and tons of wrestling t-shirts all three of these favorite ones i have lost to prior girlfriends and oh. I myself here with uh, i'm happily married for a long time but with college hookups i have not one of the three to this point in time yeah that's something that i need Freaking to go chicks, do man i need to go and like get some of my favorite wrestling t-shirts again because i do have some even to this day like dude i have a killer rock and roll express t-shirt that i got uh from them so that was awesome, and uh, but like just stuff like that. But like I just I'd love to go back and get some of like my classic favorites. Like I would love to have an Austin three sixteen to wear right now. I would definitely still wear that shirt. That's one of my favorite things about that shirt when it came out. Uh, or even the yeah. old NWO shirt was a classic. I used to love that shirt. I'd, that was like one of the few wrestling shirts back in the day that like you could wear that like a you wouldn't look like a special kid. And B, you wouldn't get fucked with. Like, if anything, people would be like, yo, NWO for life, like, or, you know, whatever. Uh, but, like, you wouldn't get shit on for wearing it. So I also definitely wanted to name that one as well. As you know, I think I mentioned to you, one of the newer ones I purchased was the, the classic Razor Ramon one. That's the. Did you get the yellow one? Is, was that the one? Yeah. Dude, I, yep. I bought that shirt at a house show. 
in 91, 92. That sh- I, it might have been the same fucking show that me and you went to separately, which is the, the, oh, yeah, the, I remember that. the Macho yeah. Man Razor Ramon main event. And I loved Razor Ramon even as a heel back then. Uh, so I bought the shirt. But yeah, I, I still remember that yellow, the yellow and black Razor Ramon all over print t shirt is so sick. I, I would buy that tomorrow. If I could, so yeah, that's right. I had to get it the one day I saw it again. And day thirty, why do you like wrestling? By this far, the the, the hardest day. one on here, I think. Oh, of course, uh, but the uh, thirty day challenge of wrestling completed by Hey Elton the J. We did the the thirty day film challenge, and these have been a blast with you, bro. Go, going down memory lane, man. All our. Um, same memories together and stuff it yep. brings out a lot of good side wrestling tangents and you know hopefully some entertaining stuff for our peeps out there so why does the jay like wrestling and i've always said this uh you mentioned it was hard it's actually easy for me hey ed because i've said this um since since i got into it and try to explain myself to people okay um so i'm i'm a lifelong athlete uh, i played numerous sports um it had pretty good success in, in many of them I fell into even becoming an independent wrestler and, and all that. And one of the reasons that I bring all that up is that's why I love wrestling. Wrestling is one of the only things out there that combines entertainment with sports and athletics. Yep. And that combination was just so me. I was probably the only goofball my senior year of high school. I was in the play Les Miserables. And I was starting a backyard wrestling league. <laughs> so, <laughs> that kind of says it all, you know. But that's what I loved about it, man. It was it was the combination. Uh, you know, that's why I love pro wrestling. It's the combination of entertainment and sports and athleticism, uh, all all to the point of of Vince McMahon himself coining the the famous or for some people infamous term sports entertainment. But to the J, that's why I love it because it's it's sports and it's entertainment, and there's nothing else like it. Yeah, I uh, I kind of have a two-part answer for this one. And the, the reason why this one was hard for me is because I was trying to sum this up. And there's a lot of reasons why. Um, same kind of thing that you were saying is I love the originality of what wrestling is. It's not trying to really be anything but wrestling. Um, I like that. I like the showmanship. I like the, the colorful characters and the weird stuff and the comedy and the, the just... The, the fact that nothing else really compares to what pro wrestling is. But being almost 40 here, under a month from being 40, that's changed for me a lot. And I'll be honest with you, the reason why I love pro wrestling now is because, dude, it's given me so many fucking great memories. And I'm not talking about matches. I'm talking about memories in my life. Like, we've spoken about it on here uh, my grandma's no longer with us, so I look back fondly on the memories of, of the days when I first got into pro wrestling, watching it with my grandparents. That makes me happy. Going to shows with my parents as a kid and having a lot of fun, which is really cool. Or into our teenage years with all of the goofy fucking stories we have from going to see WWF down at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, to going to independent shows, to the awesomeness, which was our... Our, this was like our mecca uh, in, back in the day when we were teenagers. Getting tickets and being able to go to our very first ECW show was fucking monumental for us. Milestone. And, yeah. that, and it became even more than that because we really wanted to see ECW. But when we went, 
it opened up a world to me that I didn't even know existed, which is the world of wrestling tapes and tape trading. Um, all of these combined like memories for me, all because of pro wrestling, makes me love it. And I'll be a lifelong fan, even if I'm not watching it and following a current product. I'm never going to shit on pro wrestling because I will always love to go back and watch the old stuff no matter what happens. So I guess like the memories that being a fan of pro wrestling has afforded me with my friends and my family and making friends with people and stuff like that, down to even just the fact that I know, I can say that I know a guy who I feel is legitimately the most decent human being that's ever promoted professional wrestling in Norm Connors as a friend of mine. That's another thing about this that I love. It's done so much really cool stuff in my life for no apparent reason that I just can't help but love it. It's just an amazing thing, and there's nothing like pro wrestling. So That's the way to surmise it, hey, yo. That sums it up, but we are not done. We might be done with the 30-day wrestling challenge, but I have a special bonus question for you, the J. What's your favorite year of WWE, WWF, WCW and ECW. So it's a four-parter. Wow. So off the bat, I'll go for the one that just comes off my head for, you know, again, it's your own personal experiences, I think, that is the driving force to your choices. And that, of course, is um, me falling into it particularly for whatever reason when I was in sixth grade, uh, about 12 years old in 92. Um for the WWF, so I'll go with that year. Same, so that's when I fell into wrestling. Same, period, that's the know? that's the same exact year I would pick for WWF. And even though I was watching it previously, that year is so fucking good, and they had the most concentrated talent that the company ever I was had. Say you you can you can use that prime example of what you just say had is the the roster that's in the '92 Royal Rumble. Yep, it is a who who's who of Hall of Famers. It's ridiculous. Um, WWE, that one's tough, but I'll stick to my guns with the um, with the film challenge for for what I chose for my my favorite era. So this goes in with it. So it's not too far removed from '92, and it's not like the matches were the best, but it was the height of the Monday Night Wars that I referenced. So uh, and it was our senior year of high school. So I was really watching well, no, then. That's so I was more I was more distracted the following year but, in uh, college in '99. So I'm going with '98. That's WWF though. Oh, still good yeah, call. It did good not. I'll, uh, just so you know, um, they the WWE or the WWF changed to WWE in 2002. Okay, so I'm trying to think off the top of my head. This one's hard. Yeah, it is hard because um, this was right when a lot of the SmackDown. What what year roughly was the SmackDown Six? That will help me pick. Um, I want to say that was 2003. That's what I was, I was. I had 2003 in my head. So WWE, I'm going with 2003, um, because of that's when like they're kind of in-ring changed from like the more storytelling kind of matches to being equivalent to their version of Japanese wrestling. Like it wasn't Japanese wrestling. Don't get me wrong, obviously, but you know what I'm saying? Hey, it's mm-hmm. like the WWE's version of like high intensity in-ring 
as opposed to like you know the warrior hogan style matches it was eddie benoit matches and so dude that's why i went with that it's funny that you said that because my original answer for this was 2001 but that was wwf so looking back i did the same exact thing you did and i'm like well then i gotta go with the smackdown six era and that's 2003 and that's just just as a side note too because it's uh, you're the the only person that would know this. Uh, remember years ago, and it was during that era uh, where we went to a house show on Super Bowl Sunday in the afternoon, and we got to see Brock Lesnar and Eddie Guerrero have a match. Yeah, that was the shit for a house show match. Yep, we were going nuts. It was a great show too. I remember the world's greatest tag team having a really good tag match on there with uh, fuck. I forget who it was at the time, but I remember yeah, that, that was like the shifting. That whole year was like the shifting of the eras, you know. Yep, but they had really good tag teams, really good top of the card guys. So yeah, I think that's a great, great choice for uh, for WWE. What do you think about WCW? I mean, that's a really tough one because they don't have that same aspect where they at least get split. You know, it's like you're going from the '80s all the way until what 2000 and two-ish when they went under but dude i have a funny feeling me and you might pick the same thing for this one i mean i'm I'm trying to think of all those so we used to go ed and i would go to our buddy squids shout out to squid and um he was a big wcw guy yep ed and i always were more wwf guys but of course when you're a pro wrestling fan it's all under the same umbrella you know you just kind of lean towards your allegiance you know especially when you're you're younger and stuff to, to the one that brought you to the dance for me, you know, which, which was WWF, WWE, but WCW definitely had its moments. So I'm kind of going to those days. Hey, Ed, because of the memories there, like, like, you, you know, you surmised your love of pro wrestling. Sure. It was like, we've had, we had so many memories in squid's bedroom and so many goddamn matches. Um, I'm going to go with, cause I, uh, 98 kind of gets slow. I'm going to go with 96. That's a good choice. That's probably my second choice, actually, for years for them, because I really like 96 a lot. But I've always, and I have a feeling you might even change your answer on this one here. But if you remember back in the day, we used to always say this, especially as far as the in-ring stuff went. But WCW, before Hogan came in 94, was really good. That's a good point. So I'm going with 93. Because that's when they had Cactus Jack and Sting and Vader and Rick Rude was still there and Dustin Rhodes and like they... That's when they were like ECW before ECW. Terry Funk was there. Yep. They had a lot of that kind of stuff. They did the tables. Yep. Yeah, Cactus Jack. So that's a good call. Now, this is the biggie and we might agree on this one too. ECW. Yeah, that's so tough. 96. Yeah. You have to. That's um, the year we found it. It's that's, just that's the year that it all happened. I, I would wake up at three. I would set my alarm for three in the morning because the only way you could watch it, it was on this weird random channel, Prime Sports or KBL, Prime Sports or something, and it only came on at three in the morning over the weekend. I would literally, and you couldn't DVR, and I didn't have the ability to the VHS like recorded and, and stuff like that. I had to watch it live. And it was only on at three in the morning on that random channel. I would set my alarm as a teenager, wake up, sneak downstairs at my parents' house, and fucking watch ECW in the middle of the night in '96. So, uh, I'm with you on that one, dude. I gotta throw this in. It's it's time for a short, quick story here, but I'll never forget this. 
So, as usual, as a teenager, we would go out on the weekends and stuff like that. So you go out and you do your thing or whatever. And you, most of us had a curfew. So I'd come home around midnight or so or whatever. I'd just do my thing, get ready for, you know, go to bed. Well, what I would do is I would stay up pretty late then, you know, for the most part. Because I didn't have to do anything the next day. So I remember one Friday night where I'm up kind of late. And I'm in a living room downstairs. My parents are asleep, and I'm just flicking through the channels looking for something to watch. And I passed wrestling. And I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck was that? And keep in mind, we knew what ECW was. We were fans just through the aftermags at this point. We, we had some tapes, some stuff like that. But, like, ECW was on our radar, and we, it, we were, like, looking for it, you know? So I see that it's on, and I caught it. The show already started. So I quit, I'm like, I fumble around, I grab a fucking tape, throw it in the VCR, hit record, record the whole show. And I'll never forget this. I called you guys, you and Squid the next day. And I'm like, dude, you guys aren't going to believe what, what was on last night. And I'm like, you know, I explained to you that ECW is on. And you guys are like, holy shit. And I'm like, I recorded it. We got to watch this shit. The show's amazing. So I remember bringing it up your house the next day, Saturday. And me, you, and Squid watched that very first episode. I'd watched it for the second time. And it was the main event was Sandman against Raven when Raven was the champ defending the belt. And that was the first. And we were like hooked. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe. That was it. And it was like. That's all she wrote. Yep. And it immediately, as you said earlier, we were more WWF guys and Squid was more the ECW guy. But from this point. We were all just ECW dudes. Like, fuck the rest yeah. of them. ECW's the best, period. Not even a question. It just it coincided with our age yeah. and just the timing. As I always say, life is timing. And we were teenagers. They were the rebel company. They were doing the R. It was basically the R-rated version of wrestling where WCW was PG-13 and WWE was PG. Yep. That's kind of how it was. Absolutely. You know, back then. So, of course, as like 15, 16, 17, well, probably 16, 17, and um, we wanted the R-rated shit. Yep. So that definitely hit all the right angles with us, and that's why, uh, you know, ECW was our shit. So that is it, guys. That is the wrestling segment this week, and, of course, the end of the 30-day wrestling challenge. Uh, It is an Iron Man match, I'm telling you, man, we fucking knocked it out, though, so I'm kind of proud of us for being able to do that coherently. Um, It is time to pay some bills, and when we come back, guys, it is time to head out to the drive-in with old Joe Bob Briggs as we review the last drive-in from last weekend, meaning Slumber Party Massacre 2 and Victor Crowley. So we'll be back right after this with that on the What's Real Podcast. Hey everyone, it's the Jay from the What's Real Podcast, here today to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damiano Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to churchillpictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation johnny star on the streaming talk show alone together pittsburgh we are churchill pictures established from the bond of two childhood friends we envision creating visual content that is completely original thought-provoking and most importantly entertaining 
Churchill Pictures, picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today. And we're back here on the show, guys. Now we are talking the last drive-in with our buddy Joe Bob Briggs. If you guys don't know, uh, Joe Bob Briggs is a former movie host, I guess you would say. He did uh, on the, the old movie channel. He used to have a show. He used to do Monster Vision on TNT. But now he does the last drive-in on the Shutter streaming service. And they did a special for the summer this past week where they showed Slumber Party Massacre 2. And Victor Crowley, uh, which I almost uh, successfully predicted last week because they do the movies as a special and they don't announce them ahead of time. And I thought it was going to be the first Slumber Party Massacre, which uh, would have probably been better. So let's just get into these. Uh, just so you know, guys, these aren't going to be as in-depth as like maybe our Thursday Night Primes are. Uh, we're just going to kind of give you a quick rundown on what these actually are and what they're about, if we like them or not. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Joe Bob as well. But here's the gist of Slumber Party Massacre 2. Courtney, the sister of a survivor from the first movie, and the members of her rock band go to a condo for the weekend to play music and have fun with their boyfriends. Courtney's dreams are of her sister, who is in a mental institution, warning her of having sex, and the dreams begin to spill into real life, threatening Courtney and her friends as they begin experiencing an attrition problem. Now, the original Slumber Party Massacre is more of a straightforward slasher movie. Uh, there's a killer on the loose in the town, and there's a couple girls, uh, or a few girls, I should say, having a slumber party, and that killer runs into the party, and, you know, chaos ensues. This one's a little bit different, um, where you kind of don't know if the killer in this movie is supernatural or not. They kind of have that vibe. But really, at the end of the day, none of it matters, because Slumber Party Massacre 2 is really a clusterfuck of nonsense. The movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense, um, even though the movie does have, uh, specifically, I'll say, Crystal, Crystal Bernard, who you might know from a whole myriad of movies, but her biggest role is probably on the TV show Wings. Um, she wasn't even remotely competent as an actress at this point. And this was in 1987. Um, now, maybe in 1987, this movie was cool, or people liked it, or what have you, but a lot of it's dated, and a lot of the references are really bad. Um, the guy who plays the killer in this movie is atrocious. Um, a lot of people... It's our friend uh, Jason Martinka. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, a lot of people think that this is, like, hokey fun, and I just don't like it. I didn't like it before it aired. Um, it's increasingly different than the the original movie, and clearly a lot of the stuff here is being played for laughs, but the problem is, it's just not very funny. And, you know, outside of a couple of scenes of gore, uh, this one is a massive waste of time, in my opinion. Um, what did you think of this? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> my, I mean, my first ne- note on it, hey, Ed, like you kind of had said, I mean, it's its such a fucking 80s movie. Many, many 80s movies are, uh, there's there's some that, that can avoid that and they hold up modern day, which is rare, but this is such a fucking 80s movie because on top of it, the, the girls in it are all in a band. 
So they have their band like songs throughout it, which you know, are like, practices, dude. Oh, okay, this one because I watched this with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, so we threw this on, and pretty much for the rest of the night, you know what we were goofing on constantly. The scene at the beginning where the two girls are in the car and they're like, oh, I love this song. Turn it up. And dude, this song's like, okay, I'm going to quote the song. Girl, I want to be your Tokyo convertible. I want to have fun with you. Yep, that's a song. So sing that, even to yourself. And it's like, this is the, I want to be, what the fuck is a Tokyo convertible? (laughs) <laughs> if someone seriously emails us and gives me a legitimate answer to that, and it's a like you're not being a smartass, like if you really give me a defining, I'll have I'll give you a prize of something. I don't know what something. <laughs> yeah. I promise you. So email us at whatsrealpod at gmail dot com, and if you have a if there's a legitimate answer for whatever the fuck a Tokyo convertible is, you got a prize coming your way. Yeah, I mean, the only redeeming quality possibly in the whole thing was the character JJ, because he's an asshole character. Yep. So I laughed at him. You know, he's like a fucking goof. And then, um, of course, we, we've named this before. It's a classic trope. But guess what Guess what the uh, sheriff's name was in this? Kruger. Kruger, <laughs> of course. Come on, Sheriff per- Kruger. Perfect in 1987, where, as I mentioned on the uh, In Search of Darkness review, yeah. fucking Freddy Krueger was somehow bleeding into everything at that point. Which he, he was funny because he, like, went completely heel on them because mm-hmm. they, like, wasted his time, like, the first time he's in it. And he, like, says, like, the nastiest shit to them. Like, that, that had me laughing. He's like, and I'm telling you kids, if you ever call me again... <laughs> I'm going to choke the shit out of yeah. you. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. It's, dude. They're just looking at him. Th- this is one of those movies that follows that trope of you falsely called the police for nothing. So now that you're calling him because shit is happening, they're like, quit wasting yeah, our time. I mean, which immediately <laughs> yeah. makes me think, I don't know about you, but if there was a killer in the fucking house and I'm calling the cops, they're like, oh, you wasted our time. I'm like, all right, your mother's a whore. I'm going to fucking yeah. punch your dad in the throat, you stupid cocksucker. <laughs> like, anything... Just get over yeah, here to It's me. like, if you don't come out here for this, I'm going to bomb the police station. <laughs> like, anything <laughs> yeah. that gets them to show up at that point. But no... And, of course, she's just like, the, he's, he said he's not coming. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're on our own now. And it's like, yeah, you fucking <laughs> are, because you're not smart enough to figure out how to get the cops to get there. Like, jeez. Yeah, only only one, uh, one pair of titties, and they weren't great. Nope. Not at all. And, um, and But here's the thing. Know. I like that chick because she's also in my one of my favorite Friday the 13th Part 5 is one to the one of the kids in the Unger Health, uh, Institute of Mental Health. So I recognized her from that because, yeah, I'm a deeply disturbed human being that has watched way too much weird <laughs> shit. Yeah. But, yeah, to sum it up, like we said, it's – not going to give too much here to Slumber Party Massacre 2. As we always do, though, here on the podcast, the tagline, the party begins when the lights go out. So your normal schlocky shit with the rockabilly killer. And like Ed said, you think he's supernatural. And then all of a sudden he shows up at the end with a guitar with a drill on it. I give this one one fucking star. Yeah, I was going to say you're a little bit harsher than me. I gave it two stars, but... By no means is that a recommendation, because this movie is fucking lousy. 
there are a few things I give it some points for. I thought some of the gore in it was good. And obviously, I'll give you a little bit of credit because the, the guitar drill was kind of an inventive thing to do. Um, but yeah, it really doesn't uh, hold up very well. And uh, one of the things I wanted to mention too, because Joe Bob actually talked about this in his segment, and I thought it was interesting. So... Uh, the original Slumber Party Massacre is, by the way, an awesome movie. It's a really good slasher movie. Yeah. And this is a series that Roger Corman put together to kind of, like, in the 1980s, uh, a lot of the horror movies were getting shit on because they, they were saying that they were misogynistic. And a lot of them were. Um, but what Roger Corman wanted to do was this was going to be the slasher movie series uh, the, made by women. And he got a woman named Amy Holden-Jones to direct the original movie. And Amy Holden-Jones is by no means a slouch. She actually, uh, she's she's an actor in the movie Piranha, uh, which a lot of these people end up doing the, uh, you know, the Corman route. Like, they work in a lot of the Corman stuff. Um, But this woman wrote a ton of stuff. Check this out. She's the writer of Slumber Party Massacre. She also wrote uh, Made to Order, Indecency, Indecent Proposal, Mystic Pizza, The Getaway, and Beethoven. So, like, she was a working actor. That's a lot of box office. At the time, exactly. And there is also, uh, I'm trying to think what movie it was. I want to say that she got offered um, to be the editor on maybe Color of Money for Martin Scorsese, but she turned it down to direct Slumber Party Massacre. So it didn't really help her career out, even though the movie's awesome, but uh, she was offered to direct the second one, and she's like, nah, fuck that. (laughs) I'm good. So Deborah Burke took over, uh, who is a much less talented person than Amy Holden Jones, and it is another reason why this movie just isn't very good. So I thought that was kind of interesting, and Joe Bob had some good feedback in between doing this one, but uh, the focus of the night uh, for Joe Bob even was more so on the second movie that we're going to talk about now, which is from 2017. It's from director Adam Green, who is the head of the Hatchet franchise, uh, which this falls under, as well as the best movie ever made, and another movie that I know me and you both are fans of called Frozen that he made, uh, which I highly recommend you check that out. It's not, obviously, the Disney movie. Um, but this is Victor Crowley, and Victor Crowley is essentially the fourth film in the Hatchet franchise. They changed the name for whatever reason, and I'm not the biggest fan of the Hatchet movies to begin with. Uh, basically, they all center around the legend of, of a killer named Victor Crowley, who is in the swamps of Louisiana. And what we saw in the third movie is we had a group of survivors, specifically one guy, and he's back in this one as kind of like the guy who survived a tragedy, but a lot of people think he's also the murderer because they don't believe in the whole Victor Crowley legend. So he's kind of like this sleazebag guy who's just trying to mill around because he put out a book about his experience. And the movie starts out with him on this uh, talk show. And it's clearly like a play up on things like Oprah or Sally Jesse. Wendy Williams. Yeah, exactly. Like we're here for the dirt kind of thing. And he basically plays a character that gets... He's kind of doing shitty financially. So he needs to work 
And he needs to take advantage of this legend and what he's been through to kind of make money from it. So his his <laughs> his agent, played by Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp, who's actually really good in this, um, gets him a gig that he goes back to the swamp where this all occurred. And it happens to be on the same woman's show who insulted him, who also happens to be his ex-wife which you find out through the movie, which is pretty hilarious. But most of the movie takes place on a plane that crashed in on the island where, or in the area, I should say, where Victor Crowley is still stalking. And this happens 10 years after the original murders. So they are stuck in an airplane with Victor Crowley about. And you have a pretty interesting cast. You have Felissa Rose playing the manager. You have uh, Tiffany Shepis uh, plays one of the crew members. Uh, you have uh, one of the lead guys whose name is escaping me at the moment from Impractical Jokers. Uh, Brian, Brian Quinn. Quinn, who actually plays a pretty good role too. Kane Hodder, uh, who's famous for playing Jason more times than anyone else, is the killer behind Victor Crowley. And overall, what you get is a pretty funny movie. Um, it's and oddly enough, I said before that I'm not a, the biggest fan of the, of the Hatchet franchise, kind of because I don't like when movies have this serious tone and they don't quite understand how to put comic relief in the movie without ruining the tone. Well, they fixed the problem with this one because this one's just a flat out horror comedy, and because of that, because they're not trying to be overtly serious with stuff. The movie works on a pretty fun level, and because of that, I liked it. It's filled with absolute balls-to-the-wall gore. There's, of course, some titties in this one because it's a slasher movie and it wouldn't be without them. And overall, what you get is a pretty entertaining movie. Um, I really do enjoy this one. It's not my favorite movie, but it is definitely one of my favorites in the Hatchet franchise. That's the biggest word I would use, hey, Ed, is entertaining. Um, Very uneven, definitely a goofy route to take for the plot with the plane and the, the you know and the impending plane crash but that kind of makes it interesting in, in certain ways um it's just like the, the the hilarious thing of the the lead character andrew being talked into going back there yeah. <laughs> after all this like you know how's he gonna go back so like i think that's why they went that route um there there was like you said there's a lot of funny moments um you know, Tiffany Shepis was good in it. She stuck like in the plane the whole yep. time, um, but but there were some good moments and with dude, her. And you're you're definitely she, yeah, she is a trooper in this movie. That swamp water yeah, that she's, she's laying like under, in, in water. And dude, yep. I've actually done a panel discussion with her before, and I've met Tiffany a handful of times. She is literally one of the coolest people you could ever meet. She's not like a star like she's totally like of the people she's a super normal lady and it's it's kind of sad just to throw this in here too um her husband his name's sean tretta who's actually one of the executive producers behind um the mayans which is the spinoff yeah, of sons, sons of anarchy, anarchy and um very sadly this is the part that i that i wanted to mention i've met her daughter mia who's a sweet girl she's probably like you know a teenager at this point but last year she was shot in a school shooting in california um she survived and she's doing very well thankfully um but you know Tiffany Shepard is actually a really good person and a really good human being, and I'm happy to have met her before and done some things with her. And she's really good in this movie. She's absolutely the antithesis of what a scream queen is. She's not above anything, and she's a really cool person. So I just wanted to add that in because I'm a big fan of Tiffany. She's an awesome person. 
Yeah, because that was like a cool side plot with it when the water starts, you know, the plane starts sinking. So she's stuck there. The water starts rising. Um, so that adds to, to the tension of everything. And like you said, I mean, to me, Felissa Rose. She's um, great. She absolutely does. She, she's uh, like the plane's fucking crashing and she's like sleeping the whole time. Because <laughs> she's on he, pills. He looks back at her. <laughs> yeah, he looks back at her and he's like, how is she sleeping through this? He just makes that face. Um, like you said, good gore, some good kills. Uh, the beginning was pretty funny. That was actually the dude from uh, the um, the the reboot of Mystery Science Theater, Jonah. Um, yeah, Jonah yeah, Ray. Yep. In the opening scene, and that was pretty funny. That's that's where they kind of established the comedic. Oh shit! This movie's gonna you know go. what? I, here's something that I don't even know if you realize or not, and I didn't realize it the first time I watched it, and I was like, "Holy fuck, that's hilarious!" So when the characters get to like the swamp, right? They run into a local who's a local actor, okay? And this dude's pretty funny throughout the movie. He's just a goofy character. Do you know who that is? Are you going to say Tyler Maine? No. Okay, because Tyler Maine, um, he was the dude that played Michael Myers in... Yeah, no, 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 no. Rob Zombie's Halloween? No, that's not who I'm talking about. So I thought that's who you are going for. Okay, no, I don't, I don't know who you're going okay, for. Okay, so the dude that I'm talking about in this movie... Is I like I noticed that I recognized him, but I was like, I don't know what I recognized it from the first time that I saw it, right? The dude's named Dave Sheridan, but he's the dude that plays fucking uh, Deputy Doofy in Scary Movie. Oh, I did not notice that, and I love Deputy Doofy. And dude, here's something weird that's I didn't notice this, okay, until after the fact. So I, I, because I wanted to get this dude's name for the segment. So Okay, I'm like, okay, he was Deputy Doofy in Scary Movie. Maybe, you know, like, okay, he's in this. But that's probably about it, right? Nope. He's in Ghost World, Horrible Bosses, Devil's Rejects, Bubble Boy, Little Man, Sex Drive, A Haunted House, which is another one of those spoof movies, Fifty Shades of Black, another spoof movie, A Haunted House 2, another spoof movie, Corky Romano. Like, this dude's in a ton of shit. Yeah, he's in a lot of and shit. He, oh, that's great character. And he actor. never looks day. the same. Exactly a fucking character yeah, actor. So, and I thought that character is pretty fucking funny just to kind of throw. Oh, he was and hilarious. dude, he does the best thing ever. So, spoiler alert, okay? So, ding, 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 through ding, ding. the course of these movies, like Victor Crowley's a bad motherfucker. It's like, how the fuck are you going to defeat this dude? And I'm thinking this the whole movie. And it's really cool in the movie because they made it like where he's like trying to save the day. And for some reason, he's not getting killed. Well, towards the end of the movie, your two main characters are about to be wiped out by Victor Crowley. And keep in mind that he started the, the plane engine. So you have one of the propellers are going. So Victor Crowley's about to murder the heroes of the movie. And here he comes tackling Victor Crowley into the fucking propeller where him and Crowley get minced up into about 400 million fucking yeah, little pieces. It's dude, that scene is fucking awesome. Just because you're not like like you 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 kind of it. well end. you kind of figure that someone's probably going to do that, but when it happens you're like fuck, I didn't know it was going to be right there. And it's just a yeah. total awesome redeeming like hero moment of the movie. And I just, I, I really like that, and it just, it's one of the parts, too, that makes really made me like the movie. I just think it ticks a lot of the boxes, and although it's not perfect, and it's definitely uneven, like you said, 
It's not boring. It really knows how to pull out the special effects, like when to be gross and when not to worry about that kind of stuff. And then the cast works. You could tell even on the Joe Bob segment, because on uh, Joe Bob's show, they had on director Adam Green, Felissa Rose, Tiffany Shepis, uh, Brian Quinn. Like, they brought a major part of the cast on, and you can tell that they all had a, a really good time making the movie. And it's pretty evident yeah, when you you're watching to it, that. too, because the chemistry's there. Like, I didn't really know... Like, I knew Brian Quinn from, you know, Impractical Jokers, and I've seen him on Raw a couple times, but he's not really an actor to me. And he did a pretty good job. I mean, he basically plays himself, yeah. but, like, he's funny, his timing's good. Like, I'm really, I was really impressed overall because I didn't really think they'd be able to pull it off as well as they did. And I didn't honestly didn't even know that Felissa Rose was as good as she could be in this. She's who calls, that he calls about whenever, like, a, a dick penis oh, the, gets brought the, up. She's the, at, at the, she's the official mangled dick expert of The Last Drive. Mangled dick expert, yeah. That's, <laughs> I thought that was her. I just wanted to make sure. But, yeah, you're, you're right, dude. It hit the boxes. It was entertaining. Um, you know, solid uh, hour and 23-minute running time. It didn't really drag that much. You know, like I said, I was up in the air originally with, with the plot, but, I mean, it's one of those things you get over it. You're not, you know, as we always say, you're not watching The Godfather. It's like, you know, fucking plane crash, you know, is insanity ensues so calling it out hey eel what's real podcast the tagline to victor crowley return to his swamp so again not getting uh getting too creative there. <laughs> and on the scale i give it uh okay i give this one two and a half Okay, see, I like this one a lot more, I think, than you did. Um, I, I definitely think that it still has its plot issues and stuff, but overall, it's a pretty fun movie. And what I say a lot of times with movies is all I ask is if you represent yourself as something, then give me that something. And I felt Victor Crowley was really good at that. It pretty much told you the type of movie it was going to be, and it delivered on it. So I'm going to go with three and a half stars out of five on this one. So that's it for that segment, but uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, it's time for the most action-packed segment in the world of weekly podcasting, Thursday Night Prime, with Demolition U, a.k.a. Demolition University, from 1997. So we'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. The International Wrestling Cartel, also known as IWC, giving Pittsburgh area some of the greatest professional wrestling action for well over 20 years. The International Wrestling Cartel presents the feature presentation Saturday, August 29th, 2020 at noon at the Brownsville Drive-In. For $25, all seats general admission, drive-in style seating, sit near car or stay in the car, commentary and theme music broadcast on FM radio. So come see the IWC's feature presentation. Get your tickets today at IWCWrestling.com. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. That's right, it is time for Thursday Night Prime. So we are going to travel back to 1997 with none other than Corey Haim and Amy Dolans in the Kevin Tenney-directed Demolition University. 
Um, this is really weird because I didn't realize that Kevin, Kevin Tenney was the director of this until I started watching it, and it's a movie I'd seen before. And how weird is this? I've actually met Kevin Tenney uh, probably back in 2007. I went to Kentucky for a uh, movie convention that he was a guest at, and we ended up hanging out with him for a few hours with a, a crew of people that we were with. And uh, he's a funny guy, man. He's really, really a cool dude. Uh, he is the guy that directed uh, the horror movies uh, Witch Trap, Witch Board, and, of course, uh, the classic 80s uh, horror flick Night of the Demons. Um, but this one is essentially about college students on a field trip encounter terrorists planning to poison the city's water supply. And what you get at the beginning of the movie is you see Corey Haim and a couple dudes uh, are football players for the local college, and, uh, you know, they don't really get along. And uh, it kind of reminded me of seeing this before because immediately as a fight ensues, Corey Haim is running from a dude for a large portion of the movie, and it reminded me that one of the things that I remember the most from this is that's what Corey Haim does for pretty much the majority of the running time is he just runs around everywhere. Um, (laughs) But uh, he's kind of hitting on Amy Dolan's at the beginning of the movie. And uh, what happens is he ends up having to hide on a school bus. He's being chased by, you know, uh, the quarterback of the team and some of the guys that are trying to beat his ass. Long story short, the bus that he hides on is going to a field trip to a, the local water plant And uh, Amy Dolenz, who he's trying to get a date with previously, is on the bus, and so is the quarterback that's trying to fight him. When they get to the water power plant, it is being taken over by an Iraqi terrorist group, and uh, the students are held hostage. Only uh, Amy Dolenz and the quarterback, as well as Corey Haim, are not with the groups that are not captured, and it's up to them to essentially stop the terrorists from taking over. Um, quickly, early on, you have the terrorists call into the local military with their demands, and you are met with the corporal, I believe it was. Is that right? The corporal or the colonel? Yeah. One or the other. Colonel. So, it was colonel. So the colonel in this movie, uh, Gentry, Colonel Gentry, played by none other than alumni of Thursday Night Prime and one of my favorite character actors of all time, Robert Forrester, who, like, honest to God, brings up any material of anything that he's in. And I brought this up to you. I didn't even realize it uh, until I was watching the movie. But in 1997, Robert Forster came out with two specific films, Jackie Brown, which he was nominated for an Oscar for, and Demolition University, which surprisingly, no Oscar nominations for that one. But he's really good in the role. He got snubbed. He did. And also something cool, too, that I didn't remember at all, the college professor, Professor Harris in the movie, is Lorraine Newman from Problem Child and the original Saturday Night Live cast. Uh, and even though she's not in a whole bunch of this movie because she gets killed uh, fairly early on. Yeah, she shot um, But she always manages to make, uh, you know, an impression. And uh, I don't know about you, dude, but I remember back in, like, the 90s, so to speak, goddamn Amy Dolan's was fine. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. She, remind, she reminds me, it's like a lot of correlations with Haim stuff. Reminds me of Nicole Ager yeah. in certain yep. ways. She has Nicole Ager's look, which, you know, he was in Blown Away, which this was no Blown Away. No. Um, and, 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 yeah, I mean, had all the, the usual, I mean, we use this word too much, and I'm not even a particular fan of the word, but uh, tropes, you know, it reminded me a lot of, uh, had a lot of aspects of um, Toy Story. Dude, Soldiers I was, in a certain this way, is definitely, you know, they, I guarantee you. Yeah, terrorists, yes. students, yep. they're the, the heroes, that sort of thing. You know, the military's on the outside trying to figure out what to do, all that. 
Um, you know, some of the funny, funny stuff and funny dialogue I had um, when uh, Corey Haynes' character and the the football player get yep. into it, and he says like "screw screw you, Slater" like a bunch of times, and he's like, "You need a new catchphrase." Yeah. Of course, Corey Haynes like yeah, the wise, wise cracking cracker. cool dude. You know, yeah, of course. <laughs> And, and like you know, and, and at one point, um, the the dick at the beginning, he's like, uh, get a grip, lad. Oh yeah, because you, yeah, you got to get a because the the main. Now I will say this. So basically, there's a traitor that uh, from the U.S. military that's rolling with this these Iraqi terrorists, and he's kind of uh, playing the middleman here, and he is in love with the main Iraqi dude's sister in the movie but like <laughs> yeah. this dude throughout the movie started stealing the show to me because he's always a smart ass yeah, he always has something funny he's to say yeah but he's great like he's really good in the role yeah and i gotta say man with this one i really wasn't expecting this going in i'd seen it before but it'd been a really long time but oh, dude, it's been forever. i was utterly shocked at how competent this movie was i mean kevin tenney's a really good director so it makes actual sense but like this movie was Probably way better than it had any right to be because it was had a solid beginning, middle, and end. The characters weren't. I mean, I'm not saying that these are Oscar level actors other than Robert Forster because he is. Um, but like everybody was really competent. I, competent is the right word here. I didn't think the bad guys were too cringy and terrible. They were fine. They the you know the heroes in the movie you know the teenagers and stuff were fine. Um, Corey Haim did a much better job than I even expected him to do. Kind of still love Amy Dolan's to this day, no matter the fact that she's probably the worst actor in the entire movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, especially at the beginning when she's running. Jesus, and she's very, very. She perfect. can't run either, which is hilarious that they decided <laughs> yeah. to give her a, the track star role of this, but she awkwardly runs through everything. Um, but like, dude, there's. There's some good stuff in this. I mean, the fact that the the Iraqis couldn't hit anything with a gun is hilarious, but that's a, a usual thing in movies like this. But, um, you know, overall, I was very much entertained. I thought we got some decent performances here, and for a, a non-studio movie, basically... This one was pretty good. Like if you know, in the old days, like you, I, I remember originally seeing this on HBO. But if I would have rented this in the '90s, I don't think I'd have been too upset about it. Yeah, no, I mean, um, always going through my bullet points of some of the funny, as I always say, the unintentional comedy. Hey, you know, that stuck out uh, once again. The the quarterback dickhead to Haynes' character Slater. They get into it because, uh, of course, he's the quarterback and and Hames the the receiver and doesn't catch the ball and he's starting to hit on his chick because they're fighting all, over yeah. Collins and he comes up he's like Slater you dickhead you couldn't catch flies if you're covered in dog shit <laughs> that was a good one yeah <laughs> it's just the stupid shit that gets me going and then of course like we said the main the main bad dude like the turncoat. Him hitting on the uh, the terrorist chick was hilarious, and like he he all starts with like a casual line. He's like, "So, how'd you get into the whole terrorist?" Thing? Yeah, and I'm just like, you know, dude, palm the forehead. He, and that that whole thing. Was he hilarious. cracks me up. Like the scene, like basically what the terrorists are asking for in the movie is they want this prisoner to be released. It's one of their demands. So, at certain a certain point in the movie, uh, that guy, the asshole character we were talking about finds out that the the dude's sister's married to this guy and she he was totally into her and he didn't know she was married so for yes of course which is a wrestling so they bring that up and he's like 
Ugh, I guess the engagement's off. Then he goes outside, shit breaks down, where he ends up shooting the fucking guy and killing him, and then he comes back in, and he sees her, and he's like, well, guess the engagement's back on, your brother fucked up everything. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, he didn't do anything, and the brother's right behind him. And that, that all that all leads to, and I'm sure you picked picked up on this, hey Ed, from the technical aspect. Aspect the back and forth camera at the end with the brother and sister. Hilarious. Did you notice it just it just kept going back and forth like a tennis ball? Like you know that was one of those things. I don't know if it was. Oh, they weren't in the room the together. I guarantee DP. you, they were not in. The, they could yeah, not. It, it just, they had to get reshots or something or what? So it turned into this weird back and forth thing where they like tried to make something of it, like creatively maybe. I don't know, but I, I that's you, dude. You know what got um, major but, points from me on this one? So I didn't realize what they were going for with this plant, like the water plant. But basically, that it's there's a bomb in there at some point too. That yeah, they're trying to poison the, the top yeah. water. Well, I didn't realize that the point was to blow up the factory. Well, I saw that that's what was happening, and when they did it, I was fucking impressed. I'm like, I didn't expect it to be to the level that they did it. I thought it would either be shittier or we'd get some terrible computer effects or they wouldn't even show it, but they showed a lot of explosions and it came off much better than expected in my opinion. Yeah, and all as always solid stunt work. Yeah. I mean, that was Hames Hames way to kill people for a while there, like the terrorists was to push them off balconies. Okay. So there's a couple There is deaths. one question I have to ask you here, and it's the fun it was like the running joke throughout the whole movie. Uh Apparently, Corey Haim has a hell of a right hand because he's knocking motherfuckers out left and right in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's hilarious. He fights the uh, he knocks the, t- the terrorist chick out a couple yep. times. That's funny. and dude, there's because once once again back then they they say fag. Oh yeah, and they are brutal to women. A hundred percent. Fucking ninety. And shit. dude, it's th- there's a scene where. Uh, the dude, if you remember, he was the guard out front that wouldn't let them in at first, and he eventually ends up in the, the water power factory with a machine gun chasing them around. Well, it comes to be where there's a part where like the dude has Amy Dolan's and Corey Hames trying to save her, and they have this fight scene where it keeps showing like from above, and it's clearly some dude with a bad hairline dressed in weird clothes that kind of look like Corey Hames, but then like she ends up shooting the dude like like it's the mm-hmm. weirdest scene but it's fucking hilarious she's like i killed somebody he's like, it wasn't. i never even shot a guy you had before. no choice you, you they did like yeah like life. but overall though like even with the goofy shit man i actually enjoyed this one i really did yeah i mean like i said it was it was definitely a breezy watch um didn't drag on like some of these can so yeah like, like you said it's Go back to it. Keyword, everybody, this week. Yeah. Competent. It was, it was a competent film. And I think that goes to, to Kevin Tenney. And this was towards the, the end of where Haim, we, we talked about that. I, like, he looked pretty mm-hmm. weathered, but he wasn't, like, brutally weathered at this point. He was, like, going down that, that path. So, uh, you know, he was still competent and Hamey enough to, uh, to carry this. So I'll wrap it up, hey, y'all, on my end with uh, Demolition You. Actually, surprisingly, no tagline yeah, on this. Yeah, crazy. Uh, I guess it was direct to uh, to video. So I came up with my own, and I didn't try to come up with one good. I tried to come up with one comparable to the ones Perfect. we read. So I went with, you won't graduate from <laughs> Demolition University. 
<laughs> and I, I give this one two and a half. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I gave it three out of five. Um, thought, you know, like I said, it didn't blow my mind, but it was a it was a fun movie, fun watch. I didn't feel like it was a waste of time like I did with some of the ones that we've picked here in the past. And uh, it managed to be a pretty decent, entertaining flick. I mean, I think this is one that people might, like, find on you know, Amazon or something and like think it's garbage, but like it's not. Give it a try. You might actually get a kick out of it. Yep. Nice little action movie and it got Robert Forster. Yeah, who did a great job. I just want to reiterate that because he he knocks it out of the park with that one. So that's it for us this week on Thursday Night Prime. Next week, boy, do we have a goofy ass one for you guys it's the return of none other than don the dragon wilson and we're going to travel back to 1991 for a little action ditty called future kick it looks basically like a ripoff of terminator so this is going to be fucking make for a great segment so again that's future kick from 1991 it is time for us to take another quick commercial break when we come back We're going to have some goofs for you guys, so stay tuned for that. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast for Kelly Argarakis Beauty. KellyArgarakis.GlossGenius.com for all your beauty needs, for haircuts, hair coloring, and much, much more. You can book online now at Kelly Argarakis. That is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, A-R-G. I-R-A-K-I-S dot glossgenius dot com for all your beauty needs. Contact Kelly today. Welcome to Goofs or Goofs. That's right, guys. It is that time once again. So the J, what do you got for us this week on the goof front? We're never lacking in goofs here at the What's Real Podcast. Hey, y'all. And um, one of the, the concurrent things we've been going through week to week on this segment is it's another trifecta. we got some three quickies here that are some entertaining stuff to lightheartedly end the show as we like to do. So the first one was a GIF. Um, it might be old. I don't know. I sent it to, to you, hey, y'all, earlier today. You said you stumbled upon it. Uh, so it's one of our viral video shout-outs. But one of those ones I watched 60 times. So a man at a factory <laughs> is pushing a huge box on a uh, pallet, and he falls off of like a, uh, like, you a know, like a it's raised like a back gate of a truck or a kinda. dock gate, yeah, yeah, like a factory docking gate, and the pallet thing that he's holding on to to push it launches like him a slingshot to the point of him basically like slingshots him to do a um you know un trying on his end eddie grow frog splash onto concrete uh but we highly recommend it and as we say what's real pod one at uh twitter uh check it out we'll post it but it's hilarious a guy getting launched from a pallet and it will make your day, and you'll watch it a bunch of times. I know I did. And hopefully the guy's okay, yeah, because he does a or, frog splash. Or just in case, rest in peace. Yes, <laughs> rest in power, as I say. Because <laughs> he, he does re- look re- kind of old. Rest, so, yeah, more like ROP, rest on pallets. <laughs> yes. So the next one on Goofs or Goofs, the next segment here. So a teen in Britain goes viral for looking exactly like Michael Jackson in a selfie. This is what happened to Lauren Elizabeth. She's a 17-year-old college student from Manchester, UK. On August 2nd, she posted a selfie on Twitter with the caption, Blame it on Boogie. 
What happened next was beyond what she would have possibly expected. According to the mirror, she was flooded with more than 109,000 likes, nearly 30,000 retweets, and 6,000 comments from Twitter users telling her she looks like the late king of pop. And another one we will post. Uh, you got to see it to believe it. But uh, she just, you know, randomly posted. It's how she looks. But the um, coincidence on her looking like Michael Jackson's doppelganger is pretty eerie. And I was cracking up at this pretty lighthearted and yeah. wild because I always had a thing, as you know, hey. I'll yeah. So I okay. Here's here's my line of thinking. Does she just look like him, or did she make herself up to look like him? I think that's the thing. That's why it went more viral than if she tried. Like she just looks like him. Like she just put that up there, like her normal okay. life. And then everybody's like, "You look like him," and she looks a hell of a lot like okay, him. Okay, so. I, the thing that I want to know, though, is, like, if she looks in the mirror every day to do this, like, what, what, like, how does she, like, what does she say to the man in the mirror? Yeah, now she's fucked. Because she's like, I look like fucking Michael Jackson. The, but like, no. Th- 17 but I mean, but I, mean I wonder if the man in the mirror tells her to change his way, change her ways. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. I, I had to pick up what you were putting down. <laughs> But I was just going to, I was literally going to keep going with the song lyrics until you figured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Love me some MJ. I do man. too. And I, I know the guy's weird yeah, and shit, on. but his music aside is fucking still great to this day. I don't give a fuck. It is what it yeah. is. But. So the trifecta ends. Hey, y'all. We're going to end the segment on just a fun, lighthearted note this week, which. As we all know, we can really use here as we progress in 2020 and the craziness of this year. Hollywood actor Dennis Quaid has a new furry friend. He rescued a black cat. Its name? Dennis Quaid. Oh. Dennis Quaid, the actor, uh, adopts Dennis Quaid, the cat. Okay. All right, then. <laughs> well. So, as I say to Ed all the time. Goofs are goofs. goofs. Are goofs. So that's it for us this week on the show, guys. We thank you guys for listening as we do every week. Don't forget to give us a five-star review on iTunes if you listen through Apple. Also, we are on Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and ChurchillPictures.com. Uh, if you have anything to send to us on the podcast, if you'd like to advertise, if you'd like to send us death threats, if you'd like to just swear at me and Jared, you can do so by sending us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at What's Real Pod One. So the J, I hear you revving up that engine, brother. You ready to take us on home? Revving it up, hey Eot. Home sweet home, like that little painting from uh, Evil Dead, which I actually have the replica That's as awesome. a magnet on my <laughs> fridge. Yep. So home sweet home we go. As always, love the show. Shout out to producer, the wizard behind the boards himself, our man Cam. Good shit, Cam. We love what you do. Keep doing your thing. To everybody listening, man, we really appreciate it. Keep spreading the word. Uh, Just have some fun with us here on the ride of the What's Real podcast. We're enjoying it. It's a great escape. You know, we're doing our – god damn it, I had the flow going. Steve McQueen, great escape. So fluff that, but we'll keep going. Hey, (laughs) y'all, I am wrapping it up. As as we said at the outset, the Jay's lucky to be doing uh, over two hours here. I'm delirious. So uh, love all you guys, man. Everybody stay healthy. You'll hear me next Right week. on. So we're going to let the J go further into delirium. Thank you guys for listening us, listening to us, as I say, every week here on the program. And I just wanted to say thank you and arriba to our producer, Tino Camtana. So shout out to Tito himself. 
hit us with the flying burrito like he does every week here on the show. Uh, shout out to the J, man. There's nobody else I'd rather be doing this with, brother. I appreciate you sitting down with me as you do here on the show every week, and I look forward to doing it again next week as well. So that's it for us here on the show this week, guys. We will see you next week with all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to re- be reviewing SummerSlam, and we have a awesome movie review coming for you from a brand new movie on Netflix called Project Power with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jamie Foxx. Of course, on the action-packed segment of the week, Thursday Night Prime, we got Future Kick from 1991, and much, much more on next week's show. So thanks again for listening, guys. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you right here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? The real question is... What's real? What's real?